Hi, I'm Matthew Rossi from Wow Insider, and you're listening to Made of Fail. I'm, I'm done with the new music. Hip hoppy wop bop. Made of Fail. We were unpopular before it was cool. Come on, let's get this gay show on the gay road. Back off, man. I'm a scientist. It makes sense now. Yeah, there's no falling into place. Of course, that place is nowhere near this place. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 71 of Made a Fail. I'm Dana. I'm George. First thing off the bat, thank you, everybody, who listened to last episode, uh, which, man, we got a thousand <laughs> hits on that thing. <laughs> Holy shit, that Jesus. scared the yeah. crap out of me. But... We got a lot of letters and a lot of emails from people saying, thank you, this needed to be said, this was helpful, and uh, I mean, I, I personally haven't been able to listen to it since we recorded it, because it was just a little too emotional for me, <laughs> but um, it, if, it, if it helped our, our listeners in any way, uh, that's, you know, that's, I'm, that's why we recorded it. I'm very grateful. It was a place to, to talk to our listeners, to sort of connect with them, and also to mourn Justin, and I think we accomplished that very nicely so we need to get back to normal right desperately um that in mind please say hello to our guest matthew rossi from wow insider how you doing man i'm i'm good i'm good it's like still you know icy arctic death up here in canada but you know that's the way it is that's canada all the time as long as the wolves don't get us we're happy (laughs) quickly back into the bunker how's your igloo yeah Never heard that one before. (laughs) That's Alaska data. It's been weird watching the news out of the United States because you guys have been getting the weather we usually get every year, and it's actually been fairly mild. I mean, we only we've only really most of the time around negative ten, negative twenty C. Oh, only, only, yeah. That's you know for for us that's not bad. Um, (laughs) I say us like I'm actually Canadian. I'm not. I just married a Canadian woman. I'm actually from Rhode Island. That's okay. I refer to Louisiana as we and us, and I'm from you know Chicago. So. Yeah, I moved up here. Place. Yeah, well, I actually, it's funny, when I lived in the States, I lived in Rhode Island for most of my life, obviously. Went to London to study for a year. Then um, when I got back from London, London, England, not London, Ontario, uh, I went moved into D.C. for a while. I lived in D.C. Then I lived in Blacksburg, Virginia. Then I moved over to California. Where I lived in uh, Richmond in Oakland for a while. And from there, I moved up to Seattle and lived in Seattle for a while. So I hit all the relatively warm places after I left Rhode Island. Like, all relatively warm, relatively nice. Then I moved to Canada. Boy, that first winter in Canada. That was a huge... I was like, I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> my, my wife sent me to the store one day. She's like, seriously, can you head on out to the store? I'm like, okay. I had the store, and it's, a, it's like way colder than I was expecting, and I like had bundled up. I was wearing a jacket and stuff. I got home, and I was like, oh, yeah, check the weather. It was the coldest place on Earth. It was negative 54. Jesus! And I was like... I don't ever want to leave this house again. I'm never going outside. See, I'm fucking anemic, so it gets down to 20 degrees down here. We're not equipped with heat in this house. So we've got like two, maybe three little space heaters. Cause yeah, because Louisiana. Louisiana. Yeah. So I'm under four blankets and the space heater. And, 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 and clinging to have, me. And I'll have George come over. George was a more effective space heater than my space heater. <laughs> yeah, Louisiana is basically saying... You know, you know, we're not equipped, man. We hurricanes, tornadoes, Let's horrible do. heat waves. Yeah, 
We don't know what you're doing with this cold thing. That's just wrong, man. We got an inch of <laughs> snow. Everyone hide. It's the apocalypse. Well, they're not trained to drive in it. So, I mean, you saw that Atlanta thing that looked like The Walking Dead. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that was oh. crazy. Woo! Uh, it was like a friend of mine, actually. A friend of mine who, who raids with me lives in the area and was telling me, you know, yeah, I didn't get home yesterday. <laughs> I stayed in my car last night. I'm like, seriously? Like, yeah, I couldn't get out. I seriously had to stay in my car. I was like, "Oh my god, that's just terrible." There wasn't even that much snow. Well, they're not there. They're not used to it. They're not equipped with it. No, yeah, exactly. Of course, even in Illinois, you see people who don't know how to fucking drive in snow. I remember, yeah, when I lived in Chicago. I lived in Chicago for like six months at one point, and I was taking the subway, and a guy comes up to me, and this is in Chicago in the Loop, mind you. Mm-hmm. He comes up to me and goes, "Give me all your money," and I'm like, "No." And he's like, no, really, give me all your money. I'm like, do you have a weapon of some sort? And he pulls it out, and I'm like, that's what you got? Like, you got a, you got a, a switch knife? Look at me. I'm six foot one. I weigh 275 pounds. You're like 5'8". You maybe weigh a buck 20. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> he's like, yeah, but I really need the money. I'm like, why? Goes, I haven't eaten in a while. So I take him across the street and I buy him a sandwich. And I'm sitting there going, here, have a sandwich, fine, take it. Do you know what it. kind of weird fucking life you've had? You keep telling <laughs> yeah. these stories I'm well on aware, Twitter. Yeah. Like, you know, oh yeah, I've died, it's, you know, a time or two. And then there was like <laughs> this one time when I got like a, what was it, something, like a car hit you? Or, I don't know. I don't, you had, uh, I got, like a spear story. in your... It wasn't a spear, it was, a, it was an arrow. I, I grew up in Rhode Island, like I said. It was a place called Prudence Island. It's a very small place with, like, we had a farm and there was, like, a whole bunch of deer and stuff on the in the state property and so forth. Right. And uh, I was riding my dirt bike through, like, one of the state areas and dude shot me in the leg with a hunting broadleaf. Put it right through my, my right leg and into the gas tank on my, on my dirt bike. So was I'm he sitting aiming there. for you? Oh, yeah. He, he apparently thought I was a deer. He mistook my bright orange Honda for a deer. See, here's the thing about deer hunting a lot of people don't know. They're really drunk. Okay, each of you youngins take a gun, a beer, and some smokes. Hey, I didn't get a gun. My God, it's coming right for us. Like, really? Uh, deer really drunk? drunk? Oh, not the no, deer. The hunters. <laughs> No. The, the hunters are up in trees covering themselves in deer piss and and drinking heavily because they don't want to they want don't want to scare Sounds the deer like with some how of the they homeless smell. People I know down here. Yeah, except the, these people are doing it as a, like a this is their thing that they do. It's a hobby. They you know whatever. So yeah, he put an arrow right through my leg, and so I'm sitting there on the bike riding. I, I didn't even know. That's the thing about really intense pain. Sometimes it just completely you put you into shock immediately. So I didn't even know that thing had gone through my leg until I looked down and saw that there was an arrow in my leg into the tank of the bike. And I couldn't – there was no way I was going to get off the bike. And so I'm, I'm riding trying to figure out like when – when he hit me, it was like thong. And I was like, what the hell was – oh, shit. So I'm trying to get back home. I get back home. I dump the bike because what else am I going to do? I don't know how to stay on it at this point, which pulls the arrow completely through my leg. Oh, oh. Yeah, so I have a hole on both ends, and the the arrow is still sticking out of my, the gas tank on my bike. My dad takes one look at this, rips my pants, like the leg of my pants. He just rips it right off of me and ties it around, and yeah, they, they get me on a boat. We had a boat at the time. Got me on the boat and took me across to the uh, the island, to the mainland, so I could go to Newport Hospital. Uh, while this is all going on, he didn't go with us. And to this day, we don't know what he did with his time. He apparently rode around with a shotgun for a while. And may have used it, I don't know, and can't testify to anything in court. But, 
Yeah, he, he apparently chased a, a deer hunter around with a shotgun and shot several times at him. So, yeah, that kind of stuff happened a lot. Like, I, I, we, my cousin and I used to do things like go down into the basement of one of the collapsing houses with, like, torches and bows and arrows and, like, old axes and chase rats around. Like, you see a trap door. You open the trap door. Like, seriously, you, like, yeah. we, we did that kind of thing because there was, like, a huge collapsed tunnel area between the three buildings. They were, like, a, it was, like, built originally as, like, an old hotel. And we just would go up and down and looking at rat, looking for rats to kill. Seriously, we thought that was great. My dad took one look at this and was like, no, 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 you can't take a torch down there. That's crazy, insane, and dangerous, and gave us shotguns. Because shotguns are very safe. Now, can I ask you a question? Was my father trying to kill me? Is How the, the fuck are you alive? <laughs> I don't really know. My wife asked me this. <laughs> like, I have, I have actually died twice. Like, when I was like 10. Like Buffy, okay. When I was 10, I went ice skating and like my skates froze and I couldn't get them back on, get them off or on properly. And I couldn't get my shoes back on because I took them off and they froze. And I basically collapsed and went to hypothermic shock. And my dad had to like, you know, again, put me on the boat, take me to the hospital. Uh, I don't remember this happening. I just remember falling down and apparently my heart flat out stopped. Like they had to restart it. And it was a flat line. You can't do whatever they tell you. You cannot shock a flat line. Mm-hmm. Doesn't do anything. Uh, the heart has to be beating, but beating irregularly for shock paddles to do a damn thing. Otherwise, you're just making a ham, making grilled cheese out of a dude's chest. So, George, yeah, they had don't to, get hungry. <laughs> mm, human grilled cheese. No, you're mm. done. Yeah, that's my life, basically. Yeah, repeatedly attempt, repeated attempts to either get myself killed, or you know, some someone else trying to, or things like that. I don't really understand it. You must have like the best corpse runs <laughs> in the whole. <laughs> Jesus. In real life, you don't actually get to experience it. I, I like to think I'm a wisp, but I don't really know. Well, you're not a night elf, so... Eh, I was for a while. I've played pretty much every race in the game now. Yeah, I've even played Undead. So yeah, I've played everybody. Like I've played everybody at least to 20. Well, let's talk about what you do over on WoW Insider. You're, uh, you handle the queue ever so often. And you also do a lot of Know Your Lore, which uh, kind of got me into... I don't know if it was specifically you, but that column for sure helped me really understand uh, Warcraft and, and you know the lore behind it, which is great because I got so into it. And you ask any of my friends, before I started playing, mm-hmm. I was like, Warcraft is for nerds. I'm never going to play it. And then it started doing, play the level 20 for free. And I'm like, I guess I'll see what all the fuss is about. And then it became Sunday <laughs> without me. <laughs> I was like, what happened? <laughs> I'm sitting here like, I'm going to, I'm going to just play to 20 over and over again. And I'm like, and I came in in 4.2. So I haven't been playing that long, but oh man, did I <laughs> think just suck me in. It's funny because I didn't start playing until my wife got me to, actually. She was in the beta and she was like, you have to try this. And I'm like, no, I, I don't want to. It's going to be you know, too much. I never really got into the Warcraft RTSs. I'm not that interested. Yeah, I never played them either. I, I started and, playing um, – I tried playing Warcraft 3 because my friend Will gave it to me. But uh, it turns out I really suck at RTSs. So. Eh. Yeah, I, I don't even know if – it just was never something I was particularly interested in. I remember at the time, actually, I was really interested in Neverwinter Nights modules. I was like, coding, an inf- oh, I'm going to code this great Neverwinter Nights module. And she was like, you know, just, just try it, because we were, we were still in the not-quite-together-yet stage of the relationship, where you're, you're talking a lot. You know? well, I meant literally she and I weren't dating yet. Right. We were just talking. And so I, I started playing it mainly to talk to her, 
like because she was there and so we could talk to each other that's silly girls don't play warcraft <laughs> uh, in my experience girls have been some of the most aggressive warcraft players right there's like a lot of really dumb gender stereotypes about games in general <sighs> and about warcraft in particular and one of the biggest is that women don't play it and one oh, of the second please. biggest is what women play women in my experience overwhelmingly play dps overwhelmingly it, yeah, it, they keep it's, saying it's mostly healers, and I know, like a real bitchin' healer who who just started. Uh, she she left our my old guild and started. Uh, she you know changed to horde bitch, <laughs> and, and uh, now she's like she got up to thock in heroic siege, and I'm so proud of her. Yeah, but, it's, yeah, well, I like to I like to smash shit. I can tank, I can heal. I'm enjoying a little bit of healing, but overwhelmingly, I'm a mage. Yeah, a lot of I've seen like a lot of women who do heal or tank, and that. But in my experience, they're overwhelmingly DPS, and it's it's funny because there's lots of other stereotypes. Like we could literally go into idiotic Warcraft stereotypes all the time. Because let's be completely honest here, and if you're a Warcraft player, you already know this. Like eighty percent of the Warcraft players are morons. Mm. That's because eighty percent of the human race. That's, that's underselling it. I think eighty percent of humans are morons. Yeah, uh, and you're just going to run into them in life, but. That's the why I'm agoraphobe, and I never yeah. leave the house. You know, I find oh. the stupider players are the one who are super heroic geared and then come into LFR and LOL at everybody. And I'm like, that's coming into like remedial mathematics and showing off your quantum physics degree. Why are you even there? Yeah, what? Oh, for quick valor, LOL, scrubs. Then, then freaking run like three heroic dungeons and you'd have the same I valor know. in half the time. I, I am the heroic geared player. That's why I don't go to LFR unless I'm going to help somebody else. Never find a greater pit of... Uh, what, no, what is it? The, the hive of scum and villainy from Star yeah. Wars LFR. Precisely, yeah. The, the history of raiding in World of Warcraft is this huge, sprawling, multi-headed monster. And I've been there for almost all of it. So sometimes I, I have flashbacks. Yeah, seriously. Sometimes I like... We used to do... um. When we did um, Nexramus, and this was 40-man, mind you, not 20 I was, was going to say, like, vanilla or... or yeah, yeah, this was original Nexramus. You could not have latency. Oh, oh you God. Couldn't, you couldn't have any. If you had 100 milliseconds of latency on some fights, Considering what it was over. Service providers were yeah. like back then. You, there were people, like, my guild only got, like, f- like, got, like to four horsemen. <laughs> That's as far as we got. We got four horsemen down, and then we were done. And the reason was because if you tried doing Thaddeus and one guy lagged at the wrong moment, you died. And it didn't – and there's 40 people. One of them is going to lag. So you had to find the people that were going to lag and you had to make them stand off in the corner. Like you prayed prayed it was a healer. You prayed it was a healer. Like please, just go stand over there and put your face in a corner and just heal heal on grid. Don't even pay attention. (laughs) Oh man, but yeah. Let's um, let's talk about like what got you into. Let's let's talk about your path to World of Warcraft. Let's start with what got you interested in in gaming, fantasy, that sort of oh, thing. Oh wow, um, I played like I guess like this would be like seventy eight, seventy nine. Mm-hmm. Um, for my birthday, like I was like five. From one year, my mom got me this D and D book. Not even because she wanted me to play D and D. She saw it in a store, saw it was monsters, knew I liked stuff like that, and bought it for me. And so I think it was the monster manual. And so I flipped through that thing like sixteen times. And I hadn't, I didn't have any D and D books other than this book, so I couldn't run it or do anything with it. But I memorized all the stat blocks for everything. 
So I, I, I knew how much, you know, like, oh, it's a, it's an adult dragon. Oh yeah. I know what that, you know, boom, I could just recite it. And as a result of this, I met a kid at school who was, who was running a D and D game and like, we hated each other. Like we did not like each other at all. But then I saw he was playing D and D. So I went up to him and said, so you like D and D? I have this monster manual book. My mom got me. And he was like, yeah, like, I, I want to play D and D with you. He goes, he looks at, he gives me a side eye. But then it's like, all right, because he couldn't get any players. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, at elementary school in Rhode Island. Rhode Island's a relatively conservative place, and there was, weren't a lot of D&D players. So we ended up playing D&D together. We never actually grew to like each other at all. Like, just we just were two people who just did not get along and did not like each other, except we would play D&D together, and we were fine with it. How many people did you ultimately have in your party? It was me, him, my cousin Billy, who basically just did whatever I told him to, and two other people. Okay. And we played, we, we, this group played, you know, people came and went, but we played for about 10 years. I still remember the last game we played, like the last big game. He'd, he'd gone through a lot of trouble, actually, so in retrospect, I feel kind of bad for him. He, we'd, we'd gone through this various spanning adventure where we, like, you know, fought this, this cult and defeated this necromancer and found out this evil lich was in charge of everything, and he lived in the Forest of Death. So we go to the Forest of Death. And Seems the force legit. of death was, we got there and he's, he spends like this 10 minute period describing the whole area and it, he lays it on. He, he's going for it. Like the animals are all undead. They're mostly skeletal and all the trees are like, you know, black and oozing pitch and nothing that lives can possibly survive in there. I and he goes through all this there. and he's, he goes through all this and I'm like, okay, so everything in there is dead. And he's like, yes. Everything. There's nothing alive in there. There couldn't possibly be. And the, the only thing is in there is that giant tower in the middle, completely surrounded by all these dead black trees oozing pitch, with the huge sweeping branches that are you know gnarled and rotting. Yes, that's true. I shoot a flaming arrow into one of them. I'm burning uh, down the whole freaking forest. Oh yeah, I burned the entire thing down. I'm like, and I'm gonna sit out here and watch. <laughs> Like, how much experience do we get for burning down the entire forest of death? I mean, I figure there's got to be a couple hundred and one encounters in there, right? And he's, like, looking at me like, his jaw is on the floor. Like, he's like, <laughs> but he can't come up with a reason it doesn't work after he spent five minutes describing how the trees ooze pitch and how there's black pools of, like, fetid, you know, explosives. And, like, he, boom, well plays gone. <laughs> 20 minutes later, the, the Lich Lord comes out really pissed off. <laughs> his, his forest of death has been completely burned into a chart. His campaign world, like, he tried to run after that, and he couldn't because it just, like, it just ruined it for him. Completely destroyed his whole campaign because a guy, instead of it being, like, a steady march through the forest, like, we probably would have had, like, two modules worth of encounters with undead things to get to his tower. Because it was like, you, we were standing up on a hill looking down into this. That's it one of the greatest of- things I've <laughs> ever heard in my life. So that was, you know, I basically played D&D for, like, from the time I was, like, eight till, like, now. I still do play. I haven't played in a while, but I mean, I still, you know, still collect it. So, which edition? Uh, right now, I'm I'm the Pathfinder, which is 3.5, but upgraded. I still have the D and D 4e stuff, and I look through it from time to time. I don't really like it. See, that's so, that's where I started playing because it was really a lot easier for me to pick up than to try to figure yeah. out like you know Thaco from you know Advanced or, or you know like just too much math and and I have a hard time concentrating on things. Before he was a lot of fun. I ran yeah. a, a a really good DM for about I think it was like what a year and a half, George. I think so. 
Yeah, something like that. And then I discovered Warcraft and, uh, you know, that's just going to be, you know, my, my biography, my autobiography when I write it. And then I discovered Warcraft. <laughs> it's going to be, I'll just download the free trial to see what happens. The story <laughs> of my 30s. <laughs> Bury me in an alliance cloak. George, write that down. I'm not burying you in an alliance cloak. Why not? <laughs> You're going to be but dead. You're not going to have anything to say about it. You I'm put gonna... any horde on me, I swear to God, I'll rise up as a forsaken and eat your brain. So you join exactly the forward anyway. Yes. Yeah. That's what it sounds like my mom used to say. Is like, yeah, just put me in a garbage bag. I don't care. <laughs> Turns out we actually spent like. Ten fifteen thousand dollars in your funeral, Mom. Sorry, yeah. uh, but you know it was, it was a really that kind nice of garbage bag. <laughs> hefty, hefty. No, uh, we went to the when I went to like it's really funny because like I said, I mean I actually did a little game writing back in the day, nothing huge, but I wrote a couple of modules for uh, for Steve Jackson games when they were doing their Pyramid Magazine online when they first moved it to online. Oh yeah. Uh, one of them was for uh, In Nomine, Mm-hmm. So I've written an actual Inomine module, like the one guy, I'm like the guy, yeah, that was me. <laughs> um, there were a few other people who had, and um, I wrote a, basically, I got really big into the storyteller system, White Wolf stuff, mm-hmm. back in like the 90s, so I wrote like a module that added together two of their storyteller system things. It was like, I think, Mage and Aberrant, their superhero game. Okay. So I wrote a thing saying that the entire superhero game could just be inside Mage. It's just Mages who don't want people to know they're Mages, so they pretend to be superheroes. Boom, done. And so I, I was doing that, kind of, doing that kind of thing. And like I said, my wife and I, we were talking online, and she said, you know, you might really like this World of Warcraft game I'm in the beta for. And I'm just like, I might, but I mean, you know, whatever. I'm, I don't really want to. She's like, just try it out. So you know, you know, like the the friendly pusher. All the cool I, kids are doing it. So I, I rolled a, a paladin actually, and I was playing yeah. the paladin, and I liked the paladin fine until I got to my first dungeon, and everyone was like, okay, now heal. I was like, beg pardon? Were you in Holy? I don't even know what Holy was. Like, that's I, I, exactly what I did when I started playing. I was trying to play a Shockadin in 4.2. Guess how well that turned out. Yeah, this was back in what? This was back in you know original. This was vanilla. Well, that's when you you know you were healing as a paladin, right? I mean, so pretty much all paladins did, and I had no idea. So I got to this dungeon, and it was a terrible experience for me because I didn't want to heal. So I was like, okay, I need to find a new class, and so I need a class that does the hitting thing. And someone was like, have you tried Warriors? And I tried a Warrior, and it was really boring, and I wasn't liking it. And then I hit level 10. And back then, this was level 10. I know it's level 4 now, but back then, this was level 10. You get Charge. Mm. And I charged something. And then, here we are now. Like, <laughs> ah! <laughs> <laughs> All the time. Charge, charge, charge. And that's how I became a Warrior. Me rage. Me hit enemy with X. Actually, my first Warrior was an Orc. Uh, and it's funny because I'm so Alliance and I've played Alliance primarily, yeah. but I rolled an orc as an alt just to see the warrior. And then I immediately had to re-roll another one to play, I could play with my wife, who's a night elf and will never play anything but night elf. Um, my wife will be a night elf hunter until the stars burn out. Awesome. So that's basically been, that's how I got into the game. Really. I like and the story where you were telling on Twitter where she, she tried tanking something and, and, and she's like, everybody keeps pulling and you're like, now all can see. Yeah, I, I, I'm not the best person to be tanking in front of. Um, tanking with me in the group is basically just asking for, <laughs> suffer, suffer as I have suffered. This is what it's like to tank Shadow Labyrinth. You shall know only a fraction of my agony. Yeah, it will destroy you. <laughs> I, I'm pretty terrible. 
Oh but, man. Yeah, yeah, I realized real fast I, I wasn't gonna be able to mentor anybody in Warcraft because I was like, You're doing everything wrong and I'm just like Yeah, my my I'm, my friend she she's uh she's a moonkin and she's like, Why is my DPS so bad? And I'm like, I I suck at balance too, I ask my friend Weston and he goes, Okay, what's your rotation? She goes, Balance. What are you doing? Yes. You just you hit the keyboard with your face. If that's the case, stop doing that. Yeah, that's like that's- the one class. I mean, it got so frustratingly bad with, with DPS on my Moonkin that I just went resto. It was less of a pain in the ass. See, that's what I mean. When I was playing a Shaman, my elemental spec, I just went to resto because I couldn't handle it. Although that's funny because that's, that's what happened. I, I tell the story from time to time because it's pretty funny. and It also is true. Uh, when we, we first moved up here, we got a couple of cats off the bat. We had like one when we first moved up, and a year later, we got a cat uh, named Love Puck. the pictures of your kitties. Yeah. That you Puck, Puck is smart, like terrifyingly smart, and she loves the Earth Shield animation. I keep her out of my <laughs> office now. Because, like, if I'm trying to do anything on my computer, she's constantly up trying to see what's going on, and it's annoying. Oh, my so God. I- we just we just got this new kitten, Priscilla, and she decides that the back of my chair is the best place in the whole world to be. And I'm sitting there on Flex Garage, and the next thing I know, there's, like, you know, eight or nine claws digging into my back. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, Cats- ah! Cats do this to my wife, too, because she won't, like, lock them out. But I locked them out now. Back then, I didn't. And the puck would like come up, and I had my Earth Shield hotkeyed mm-hmm. directly next to the hotkey for Chain Heal, mm-hmm. so that if you hit F and D, because I don't use Wasid, so if you hit F and D at the same time, both Earth Shield and Chain Heal would go out. So she would love to just hit those buttons and see that happen, because it just was like, oh, I think it's some kind of bird I could eat. she'd keep doing it one day i had to you know we were doing karazhan back in the day in the guild i was on in malfurion and and i was playing my resto shaman and i said like hey guys i need to take a quick bio and i left to go do bio and it ended up being more than i expected it to so i was in there for this happens sometimes yeah but i figured you know whatever five minute deal it's not a big deal i come back out i come back out and they're passing out the loot from curator and i'm like what happened Healed no, Karazhan? yes, exactly. My cat healed Curator, and the best part was that what had happened was I put myself on follow, and my cat got up and hit DNF, and they thought, oh, he's back, because you know he just put you know Earth Shield on the tank and just healed, so he must be back. So they pulled Curator, and my cat just kept hitting DNF. It's just like ooh, flashy things. So my cat's pounding on DNF, and they're like, wow, best healing you ever did. I was like. <laughs> You sons of bitches, I'm not playing Resto anymore. No, you gotta give your cat an account. (laughs) He's like, I'm fucking done. I'm not playing this character anymore. When you're an LFR, I can be like, my cat can heal better than you. Awesome. No, but um, the other thing I wanted to talk about was you mentioned GURPS, and George has been trying to explain that to me for like years now. Uh huh. And, and yeah, now I've got your attention. You're sitting there, uh, uh, uh. And, and uh, so you were mentioning something about you were uh, you were playing with that for some time. What were you exactly? Is it more of a system or a game or? Gurps is a system. It's a uni- literally it means generic universal role playing system, and they never gave it a different name because originally it was based. Steve Jackson Games had a, co- a game called the Fantasy Trip that Steve Jackson himself made, and it was a D and D competitor. But he was trying for "quote unquote" realism. You say I put quotes here because it's a game where dragons are burning you to death. I mean, it's not really <laughs> realistic. Yeah. 
but he was going for stuff like weights would be universal and they'd use real world weights. Money units would be universal. Everything would be it would just you you'd know what that was. If it wouldn't be this question of like, you know, you're you're encumbered, you'd know what you were encumbered by. The weight would be exact and it would be something you'd you'd understand. Like if someone said, Oh, it weighs ten pounds, well you know how much a ten pound thing weighs. And so you're British. It was. It was. Well, that's that. He ended up going. He ended up going with metric. Actually, that's mm-hmm. late, later versions of Gerbs actually did go metric. It was just one of those situations where he he was trying to make this game, and they ended up making a game called Car Wars, which has nothing to do with Gerbs, except that during the process of developing Car Wars, which is basically just drive around in cars and try and murder each other with with weapons mounted to cars. He, that sounds so cool. He started developing the concept for Gerbs. Because he's like, well, what if I want, why am I making a whole new system to do this when I already had a system? What if we just had a system? And it's funny because this had been tried before. There was a game called Superworld, which was put up by Chaosium. Well, it wasn't really Chaosium at first, but Chaosium adopted it. And basically, if you've heard of Chaosium, they're the guys that did um, Call of Cthulhu. Oh, yeah. So they they were doing the same thing with their super world and their elric game and call of cthulhu where they had a system for all their games whereas tsr who were the guys at the time that owned D&D before they got bought out by wizards of the coast mm-hmm. tsr would do a completely different system every time they'd release a game mm-hmm. like and sometimes they'd have different systems mm-hmm. within the same basic game like think about you if you find the you know third edition versus fourth edition thing confusing imagine that there were at one time D&D and AD&D were both being published at the same time by the same company with different rules mm-hmm. and that's so that's what people were reacting to and that's what Steve Jackson was reacting to when he made GURPS and GURPS is funny because it's had multiple editions i think they're on fourth or fifth now what do you uh, have fourth, george i i mostly have third edition but yeah uh, i have um i got fourth edition the player's book as well, which is pretty much where my love affair with GURPS ended. But GURPS, GURPS came out with a fourth edition. I didn't pick it up because I just I own a ton of GURPS books, but they're all third edition. It's like right. I'm not buying these all again. Exactly. I'm sorry, Steve Jackson, but you you you're just not getting me. But that's, that's probably why I'm not picking up D and D next, even though everyone's like, ah, oh, but it's going to be. Uh, I don't care. But when when you when the um. When they released third edition, third edition was the third edition basic set and the third edition basic set revised were basically the the biggest flaw of GURPS is that it gets crazy once you get a lot of points. Mm-hmm. Like it's a point based system rather than like with D and D where you roll stats and you level up. You don't level up in GURPS; you get points to spend on your character. And depending on what point level you started to build your your campaign at and what you, you know point level you end at, it can get kind of crazy. Like, if you have, like, a campaign where everybody started at 100 points and you play long enough that everybody's at 200 points, they're effectively superhumans. Mm-hmm. And it gets – the harder up it scales, the weirder it gets. I've been in GURPS games where you started at 750 points. Yeah. And at 750 points, I can, like, just wish you out of existence. And – the other weird thing about GURPS is that it, they, for a while there, they were licensing everything. Yeah. There was a GURPS in Nominee. There was a GURPS Mage the Ascension. There mm-hmm. was a, you know, there's GURPS. Vampire Mas- Masquerade. Oh, Werewolf. my God, don't tell Carl. <laughs> the other thing about it is that a lot of it's available on PDF now. That's the thing about role-playing games right now is they're going through that kind of PDF revolution where a lot of companies are switching over to PDF. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I'm, I'm amazed there are still pen and paper books when they go for 50 to 60 bucks. Oh yeah. my god! I know. I bought mine when um, 
uh, Borders was going out of business, so I picked up like three different D and D books. Yeah, like right 15 now, fifteen bucks a piece. It was great. The to use Pathfinder as an example, the Pathfinder main rulebook I believe is sixty bucks, or, or you can buy the PDF for ten. Yeah. And that's like a it's a huge difference, and that's one of the things. Like I, I own a ton of PDFs because they're just plain cheaper. Yeah, but it makes them harder. I, I like to have a physical book in my hand. I mean, don't get me wrong. I will buy stuff digitally. I buy comics digitally all the time, but that's because I'm afraid to leave the house. But it's it's. I would much rather have something that I can carry around with me and and just hold. I own the thing is yeah. I own a lot of pen, of paper ones too. The reason I like the PDFs is because a I can read them at night. Yeah. Without having to have a giant book that if my arm gets tired for a second, I might drop on my face. There's just okay. I don't you know, know how you're reading. I tend to hold them straight up above my head because That's it's weird. you know I lay on my back in bed and read. I love to do that. It's just a situation where I for running a game I like having an actual book. In fact, I love having an actual book for actually running a game. Mm-hmm. But for just reading through and memorizing the rules myself, PDFs are great. I can't memorize for shit. That's why I have to have like all the books and all the papers and all the you know post. No, I li- I live and die by the post it. <laughs> No, I really do. George, you're on my computer. Look how many there are there. Yeah, I know. But anyway, what got you hired over at WoW Insider? Where, when did you decide that, hey, I know enough about the lore that I want to write this? Actually, it's funny. I didn't get hired for lore at all. Um, when I got hired, I, I got hired on the strength of a column I wrote basically saying that plate armor didn't matter and that people could stop talking about, but you wear plate. It's like almost all damage and raids ignores plate. It just isn't an issue. Was this in vanilla or was this in BC? Oh, this was back in vanilla. This okay. was uh, actually, I guess technically it was the start of BC. Now that I think about it, this was back like I guess around two six two thousand six two thousand seven. Been there for like six and a half years now. So yeah, I wrote that and I sent it in, and I only applied because there was an open call for people to apply. Mm-hmm. And my wife was like, "Well, the guy whose thing you just read, where you got really pissed off, you think he sucks? Why don't you? If you think you can do it better, why don't you?" And so I applied. And that's you know been there ever since. And what what did you start out writing? Because I you know like I said I I've, I've only been playing for like a couple of years. So um, I've been writing the warrior column there since I got there. So six and a half years of writing the warrior column. <laughs> and I've been writing. I wrote the shaman column for a while, but then I stopped playing my shaman really. So that you know elemental shamans they they suck at end level, but man are they just DPS. Beasts throughout like BC and Wrath. You can just chain lightning all the things and win. They they get better again once you get them geared. Like we have yeah. good element. We have good elemental shamans in our raid. It, it really is an AOE spec. the The biggest problem for specs in World of Warcraft uh, is this idea of some specs are really good at one thing, and like some are warlocks that can do literally any damn thing they want because mm. they have more health than anybody. Like yes, we can. warlocks are crazy, and they're going to get nerfed. The only reason they haven't gotten nerfed so far is because nobody was playing War- Warlocks for a very long time because they had that intensely complicated system to play. Yeah, I didn't like they weren't Kata. It's not that they weren't strong in Kata. They just took, like, you know, okay, I hope you're ready to be a virtuoso pianist because you here's a Warlock. Here's 17... Th- I think it was Sinwise who once did a flowchart of all the stuff you needed to track to play a, war- a Warlock, and it was, like, tw- 42 branching points. Yeah, and the weird part was you would get these spells, but they wouldn't be effective until you got, like, the talent that went with it four <sighs> levels later. Yeah, there were like, spells... Screw that. Why do I have the spell now? Then give it to me when this when it's good. Don't give it to me now, and then I forget about it for forty levels, and then. So yeah, warlocks have been up and down. Warriors are fu- it's funny because 
a lot of classes have been redesigned over the years. Like paladins have been redesigned every expansion, which paladin players always hate and bitch about. But oh no 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 no! I was terrible as a paladin until Mop came out, and then I was like, "What is this? A simplified rotation? Hammer of the Righteous as Ret? Oh my god, I'm a beast!" And I'm well, it's a, funny. I love paladining. Let me tell it's you. It's funny because we had a, one of one of the editors over at Onesider, Alex Zebart, uh, used to love his paladin in BC, and then they changed it for you know, they changed it in Cata. He stopped playing it. So it's funny when they redesign classes, you have ups and downs to it. Like some players now get the new class and are like, "Now this is great." Other players who had mastered the old class are like, "This sucks. I don't want to do it anymore." It's the danger of redesigning, but the thing is, is the upside of redesigning is that paladins right now don't feel old. Mm, like a paladin doesn't feel like a, like an ancient holdover from vanilla. Warriors do. Warriors feel like you know. I basically feel the exact same as I did. I mean, they've made changes since, but it doesn't feel like they have. So now, wouldn't that encourage being bored with the class, or is it just like you're never going to touch me? Wahaha. No, it's not the bored with the class that's the issue. It's the fact that the mechanics feel old and they don't keep up with modern game demands. Because every time something new gets added to World of Warcraft, it has to be reflected in raid design. Mm-hmm. Which is why we currently have raid fights with like sixty billion moving parts. Because people can range can cast on the run. Mm-hmm. They have so many different ways they can cast on the run. Fights have to challenge that. Any fight with intense movement is automatically worse for melee than ranged because melee have to maintain a minimum range mm-hmm. to do their damage. So if the boss, if there's a damaging effect that you have to move out of, it hurts melee more than ranged now because ranged can cast on the move. And they don't have a range requirement other than be within 60 yards of the freaking thing. 40. So, at any rate... <laughs> With I'm that, sitting there like, bitch, I'm a mage. I know what I'm doing. You, you, but as a mage, you, you have a talent that forced you to stand on the ground and not move. And no. isn't it the worst no. talent that, that you have? No, no, we, I don't. Well, maybe Flamestar. See, I, I'm fire. I'm, like, married to fire. I won't no. switch specs. I've tried Frost. I've what's tried the last, I hate what's it. the last, the, 90, the level 90 talent, runic, runic Empowerment, I believe it is? Yeah, but I don't take it. I take No the, one um, takes it. <laughs> That's because it is a DPS loss because it it binds you to a spot on the ground, and once you're well, bound Arcane, to a spot, I've takes it because they just you know they just even like all the time. Uh, I found that Arcane it. doesn't really have a cast on the move. You know, and that's the thing. It doesn't That's have a lot of flexibility. We had an arcane. We have like three, four mages in my guild actually right now, and like one of them was like her preferred spec was arcane, but she didn't. She stopped using it because runic empowerment sucked, and it was the go-to spell for arcane. It, they they needed it to boost their damage, but in all the movement fights in in um, Throne of Thunder and Siege of Orgrimmar, especially fights like Dark Shaman, you cannot, you know, you can't stand still in Dark Shaman, especially heroic Dark God Shaman. God bless you, Blink. Yeah. So. All that stuff is just it's it's weird and it, it's design iteration y stuff that I think about a lot because, you know, I kinda have to. So I don't know, we'll see what happens in Warlords, but that's the kind of stuff Warriors have been this class basically the same class for eight years now. Mm-hmm. And they haven't gotten a major redesign. The closest they got to a major redesign was they changed Rage in Mists, but they didn't change it that much. It still works basically the same way, it's just a little different. So I only just started picking up a warrior this expansion, like towards the end when I was leveling alts because I was bored. Because what I need is more alts. <laughs> and uh, I got one up to, let's see, what's she at right now? She's at 50, she's at like 51. 
And that's that's like the chunk of levels that I absolutely hate. So she's probably going to be sitting there for a while. It's fifty to sixty. Yeah, it's I can see so that. Bored there. Although fifty to sixty isn't so bad now if you do the blasted lands, you I end know, up flying through it. Hate. See, for me, I hate I'm, the dungeons. I I have to oh, go in anything Blackrock ever yeah. the fuck again. BRD at least. I'll agree so with you. tired. Of I don't. I don't hate Blackrock in general. Like I like Blackrock Spire fine, but BRD, yeah. No, Blackrock Spire is the. Oh my god. See, I know all the tricks to Blackrock Spire. I know how to jump down and skip half of the thing. Yeah, I don't. I get so lost in there. I can't stand it. And then you know the tank gets lost, and you know they're See, not even. I spent two years from 2004 to 2006 in Blackrock Spire. Well, I'm sure you did because that was like Endgame, you know. Yeah. Uh, between between Blackrock Spire itself and Molten Core and uh, Blackwing Lair, I went to Blackrock Mountain so many times that I practically the orcs probably like, "Hey, Matt, how's it going? Yeah, <laughs> you're gonna kill you're gonna kill us and run through and farm this place. Yeah, I figured as much. I'll just uh, uh, okay. See you later, man. Yeah, I, I joined I joined the um the Twisted Raiders Guild for the open raid thing where you would uh, run stuff at level, and I got to do Molten Core with like 38 other people, and it was so much fun. Um. But it was like for a while there, like because there was an item level restriction, you couldn't go in with heirlooms. You had to go in with like maybe level sixty stuff tops. So I ended up having to farm the Blackrock dungeons over and over, and I was like, "This is hell. This is my hell." Yeah, I got Blackrock Spire memorized. I can, I can literally go I'll boom, 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 your boom, boom, brain. Just I don't, I'm practically asleep in that place. But plus, I go in at ninety, so it's just like you know, I can oh, run right by whole yeah. groups. I, I wouldn't run it at 50, jeez. No. And there's always that one person who walks over the fucking well pegs. Always. The, and it's always a hunter. I felt so bad for you the other day when you were posting about, like, the worst possible pug you've ever seen. Oh, jeez. With, with the paladin without righteous fury and the hunter pulling and the the cat... It was it was literally like I, I described it as bingo because it was literally a bad dungeon run bingo. It was like tank without righteous fury, check. Hunter running ahead to pull multiple groups, check. Druid cat in healer in cat form, check. We don't have a death knight death gripping things randomly. Dang and I'm not gonna get bingo. Worst druid I ever saw. I will never forget this. This was two years ago. I was just starting out a new paladin. I'm in dead mines, level 15, right? I keep dying. I'm looking at the healer like, what is your fucking problem? They hadn't picked a spec. Yeah. How? That's, that's the biggest problem with the queuing system is that it does. It just it lets you queue as a healer if you're ca- capable of healing, not if you're in a healing spec. No, or not he- I mean, spec. I mean, they weren't guardian. They weren't feral. They weren't anything. They hadn't yeah. picked. A- How do you ignore that for five straight levels? That big know. flashing thing on your screen. It's funny because people do some amazing things. Back in Wrath, I knew a guy. I met him in a in a dungeon run of all places. He was an arms warrior, dual wielding, mm-hmm. who had spent all of his talents. I thought that like, was mostly Fury that did that. No, in in point of fact, yeah, it was mostly Fury that did that. You can't do it as arms now, but back then you could. He didn't. Like, the thing was, he spent his talents all wrong. He didn't really know what he was doing. I talked to him about it instead of just making fun of him, and I found out this guy like he played on weekends. At 2 o'clock in the morning, when he got off of work, and he had no idea. Like, he just, he literally was filling in the talents as he got them, just filling them. 
He wasn't picking. Oh, down the yeah. He, yeah, he just filled the box. That's why I'm. I don't care about the current talent system. Being people like, oh, it's terrible. I'm like, no, man. No, I saw it's this. so much yeah. easier. Now. I saw what people did with the old talent system, dude. This dude filled. He just filled. He just spent every point he had in arms and just filled it. He had. He didn't know any better. I'm explaining to him, and he's like, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't know that. I'm like, it's, it's what taught me. It's easy to think this stuff is common knowledge, even the simplest stuff. It's real easy to think, well, everybody knows that. They don't. Yeah, a lot the vast- of the time I try to be helpful and be like, okay, go to Noxic, go to Icy Veins, here's what you should do. Don't need on this, you don't, you know, uh, you know, you don't need agility because you're, you know, and, a warlock. Yeah. But it was, a- it was it was oh, what was it the other day? I was in with a uh, oh my god, and this is this is the worst when they're arrogant and they're assholes and they're pretty good. Because yeah. I was in, um, I was on one of my mage alts, and I'm running what was it, Stormwind Stockade, and both the tank and the hunter were in cloth heirlooms. Yeah, let that, that sink lot. in. I've seen that. And, a lot. and and the hunter's like, "Lol, I'm gonna out DPS you anyway." Lolol. So he runs ahead and just pulls everything, and it worked. And that yeah, really upset me because he's got the fucking heirloom bow. Yes, you're going to do like a shit ton more damage. I'm on my second account here. I don't have anything. It's really funny because my wife was tanking. We we, we talked about it earlier, but yeah. uh, there's a stamina there's a stamina spirit ring with a with a proc that basically you know heals you mm-hmm. when you take damage. It's an old mm-hmm. old ring that back in vanilla was a tanking ring. Mm-hmm. It dropped, and the healer needed on it because it had spirit. Well, yeah. And it, the thing is, is my wife needed on it because it is a stamina ring with a tank proc and got Fair it. Enough. And the, heal, the healer jumped all over her. And I'm sitting there going, no, that is a fucking tanking ring. I don't care that it has spirit on it. That ring was introduced in vanilla. I know it's a tanking ring. I tanked with it. But my wife gave it up because my wife tries to be a nice person. And I'm like, no, you shouldn't give it to them. And it ruined tanking for her for months because they were just such dicks about it. It's that, you know, people just... People just have this like giant stick up their asses about the littlest things. People who run DPS meters in leveling dungeons are prats. <laughs> you are a prat. It's a leveling dungeon. Well, posting them. I mean, I like to see what if I'm you want to see what I've you're got, doing. That's yeah. fine. I'm talking about people who are like, you know, low. My DPS is better and post. Like, I don't give a shit if your DPS is better. Half the time, if the tank has a couple of tanking heirlooms, their DPS is going to be the best. Oh yeah. I, I know if I if I'm tanking in full uh you know prop pally heirlooms it's like you're not gonna come near me. And it just it's the kind of stuff that just irritates the crap out of me. It's funny because it's I think it's a it's a, it's a consequence of this transition from pen and paper to computer. Um, pen and paper RPGs for the longest time had no and I don't care what anyone tells you they had no real concept of tanking. No. Or DPS. No. Or even healing. There'd be a a, a cleric or somebody who'd heal you. But there was no none of that constant throwing heals on someone. There was like you do three rounds, you take damage over three rounds, and then the cleric would be like, "Oh, you're going down," and put a heal on you that round, and then go back to hitting things with a mace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Paladins didn't heal; they might throw a lay on hands on you, but they didn't heal. Nobody healed, and nobody tanked the, because you didn't. You had a DM who controlled the monsters. There was no aggro table. Right. Well, I was in and 4E. I, I tried my very best to take a lot of the... I, I soaked a lot of damage, so You I do was that like, in 4E. 4E is designed... This is one of my problems with 4E, which I'll go into. But when when they translated this stuff to computer games, and not, not just you know MMOs, although EverQuest is really at fault here, but like a lot of computer, like, r- computer role-playing games mm-hmm. had to have a mechanic 
because they don't have a living, breathing DM to make decisions on the fly. Mm-hmm. So there has to be a mechanic of some sort to determine who's taking damage. Once you have a mechanic in place, it can be gamed. You can't game a DM that way. The DM decides who the dragon. <laughs> He'll blow you the fuck up if you try. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing about. And when they designed these these RPGs and and then the MMO RPGs when EverQuest came out, EverQuest made took a system that was developing and turned it into calcified rules, the tank, DPS, and healer thing. That's that's the legacy of EverQuest. The fact that it's still in play is basically because of EverQuest was so influential. And once World of Warcraft came along, World of Warcraft became EverQuest times a hundred. Every MMO that comes out is a reaction to World of Warcraft. Mm-hmm. They're either attempting to be a, a WoW killer, or they're trying to do everything to not be WoW. Yeah, I played Rift, and it was just like, this is Warcraft with fancier graphics. It's Warcraft from BC with fancier graphics. Yeah, and That's funny, know. because that's exactly right. what's, that's what Star Wars The Old Republic was. And I liked Star Wars The Old Republic, but its game systems were, they were Burning Crusade. That's what they were. Did I you play even, STO? Uh, original one? I don't know. Oh, you mean Star Trek Online? Yeah. No, no, I haven't played it. Okay, I played uh, City of Heroes for a while, but I didn't play STO. Uh, but at any rate, like going back to like when 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 Fourth Edition D and D came out, they looked at what was popular, and one of the things that was really big was World of Warcraft. And I know this because a lot of the people that were that are designing Fourth Edition were playing World of Warcraft, mm-hmm. and I know they were because at least a couple of guys at Pathfinder who were also working on Third Edition were playing World of Warcraft, and I know that because I was in their guild. Awesome. Um, so, James Jacobs, if you ever hear this, James, I know you play. You still play World of Warcraft from time to time. He's had a hunter. I remember you had a hunter. You had the ice barbed spear, man, so don't even try. <laughs> but th- to get back to it, um, when 4th Edition got designed, it clearly was designed with the tank DPS healer hybrids in mind. Mm-hmm. And they actually broke up DPS even more. They actually made the controller and the striker. And the controller is very definitely, obviously, the CCAOE guy. Mm-hmm. And the striker is the single target damage guy. They can still do a lot of AOE damage, but they're not, they're aimed at blowing one guy up. Mm-hmm. And I'm not necessarily opposed to this, but what I don't like is when it is, I don't think D&D classes should be so limited. Like I play D&D for years, and I'm sorry, some of the worst maniac damage dealers I ever created were classes like, like, war, like fighters. Mm-hmm. Fighters used to be death. Because they got the highest base attack bonus, and they could get the biggest weapons and do crazy things with them. And in 3rd edition, they threw in feats, and now suddenly you could do all sorts of nutty stuff with a fighter. Um, Although, I'll admit right now, the worst character I ever created, just in terms of sheer cheese, was a a ranger who had, like, the... There's a prestige class in um, one of the D&D books that allows you to be immune to all forms of mind control. Awesome. And that, cla- that guy was the cheesiest guy ever made. At one point, we were like facing an Aboleth, and it tried to take over my mind because I was being disrespectful, and it couldn't. An Aboleth <laughs> couldn't. It just couldn't. I was just plain <laughs> freaking immune. And we sat there for a few seconds, and I'm like, this is awkward. Did you- <laughs> <laughs> was that in character or out of character? Yeah, it was in character. <laughs> That's awesome. This is awkward. But it- it's... The, the back and forth between pen and paper and computer stuff has been there for as long as the computer games have been coming out. It's one of the reasons that when Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson died, you saw them get mentioned on every computer video game site. Because they are the fathers of all this stuff. They're the fathers of every MMO. They're the fathers of every single player. You know, every Dragon Age, every Baldur's Gate, every everything. You know, Skyrim, uh, you, you name it. 
that those guys made that happen with what they were doing. And it's really funny because original pen and paper stuff, like the stuff that came out um, before Chainmail, like the, the original rules, it's very much like an MMO because it was all born from strategy gaming. Yep. And the strategy gaming was all is all basically stuff like Warcraft itself wouldn't exist without it. Warcraft wouldn't exist without Warhammer. Um, and I, I don't mean that in a sense of Warcraft was inspired by Warhammer, although it certainly was. I mean that because Blizzard was making a Warhammer game and then at the last minute lost the license. And so they changed it around enough to be unique, and that's where Warcraft comes from. The original Warcraft Orcs and, and Humans is basically a Warhammer game with the serial numbers filed off <laughs> because they, they were already done making it, and then they didn't have the license anymore. So they changed it just enough, and I don't fault them on that at all. You know, it's not like Warhammer was original. Warhammer is basically just D&D. D&D is basically a bunch of Tolkien stuff. Tolkien was ripping off guys like Lord Dunsany and uh, you know, James Branch Cabell. And you know, before Tolkien wrote a damn thing, there were guys like Robert E. Howard and the women like um, you know C.L. Moore who were writing you know f- you know high fantasy and dark fantasy. It it all comes from other places. Well, you can all trace it all to just basic mythology, like old world stuff. I mean, you can, really and that's bad. that's really Tolkien's fault, though. Tolkien's the one who really brings in mythology because if you look at stuff Robert E. Howard wrote, Robert E. Howard was taking historical fiction and then just adding monsters. Like he wasn't the best even thing to do to anything is just add monsters. Honestly, if Robert E. Howard hadn't killed himself, we probably wouldn't even know about Conan because the dude was moving further and further away from writing fantasy and more towards historical fiction with everything he wrote. And if he hadn't killed himself, that'd probably be what he'd be known for right now. He probably would have wrote some like two, three thousand page bloated epic about, you know, Roman times. And that's what we would know him for or something about pirates because the dude loved pirates. (laughs) But all of it, like... When you look at all this, this stuff and you look at like, you know, pen and paper games and you look at Warcraft and you look at how they're affecting each other, D&D Next is fascinating to me because D&D Next is a conscious rejection of 4th edition. And I don't yeah, think that's, that's a the good idea. That I don't sit think well with me because, as much as yeah. I'm not a 4th ed player, I'm not, but I don't think it's a good idea to simply consciously reject it with your next iteration of the game. You made a choice in 2008 to go this way. Are they still talking like theoretically you could use almost any system with D&D Next? Because I haven't really been following it, but that's sort of the last I heard about it was they were trying to make it so that people who liked, you know, uh, the basic pack or or AD&D or 3.5 could, you know, work with the system of D&D Next. And I thought that was a good idea, but I'm not really sure how it would work in practice. Looking at the playtest documents, which I have on my iPad, I, I think that's feasible, but it's one of those situations where you'd have to decide how much how much um, cruft to use, mm-hmm. how much crunchy bits to use the term that's usually used. It's, it's fairly modular, and I could certainly see you pulling out, okay, we're going to use BAB here. Insta- you know, but the, the way the classes are designed, they're designed, they're designed really like a hybrid of three and four. This game, like the Indian X, every time I look at it, it feels like they took three and four and kind of stuck them in the Brundlefly machine mm-hmm. and ported them off somewhere. Now you've got three and four merged together like that horrible episode of Voyager where, <laughs> where <laughs> Neelix and Tuvok are one dude. That's what this guy is. I am D&D four-head, five-head, three-head man. Like, what? What? Don't do that, man. That's just creepy and wrong. And now we're going to end the end up with you're going to kill a sentient being to get back Neelix, which is just like, What? This dude's better at everything than Neelix. Why would you kill this guy to get Neelix back? Don't look at me, man. I only watch TNG. Because Will Wheaton. I don't yeah. care if he's jailed. Uh, he's Will Wheaton. 
So yeah, that's the, so for me, it's just it's fascinating to watch, and it's one of those things that I I I keep in mind because I am you know I do go back a long time with 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 RPGs. Pen and paper is really going in like some interesting directions that you don't really get to see in MMOs. Like see, I, I think the the big draw for me for pen and paper over an MMO, and this is like the only time I'll ever say this, a draw, you know, pen and paper over an MMO. Uh, the weird shit that you can get away with if you have an awesome DM, where you're not limited by the mechanics and the script of the game, where you can just go batshit insane and, you know, like end up uh, fighting a dragon made of ninjas... Yeah, <laughs> Sean, or you know, for example, burning down the dead, the the forest of death. Yeah, or throwing a flaming bedroll into something for damage. <laughs> well, it's like Jeez. one of the things I like. One of the things I like about pen and paper, really, too, besides the point that you just made, which is really a, a good point, mm-hmm. is that there's game balance is never as important running a pen and paper game. If one class is brokenly overpowered, it doesn't matter because you only have three or four people playing. Yeah. Or and let's say you, you know, I've played in groups with up to eight people at the table, but oh, that's yeah. fairly that's fairly rare. Yeah. But you only have so many people playing. So if one class is a lot better at at doing something than another class, it doesn't really matter because it doesn't screw anyone. Like they'll they'll it'll get errated and fixed, but in the meantime, just play the Imba guy. Or don't play it, and just it's fine that you're not the Imba guy because no one really knows the difference. We had a guy that was playing a berserker that was just totally fucking broken. Like we we were on yeah. a ship and there were pirates everywhere and monsters, and he's like, "Okay, you guys get the sixteen on the left, and I'll get the sixteen on the right," and he did it. Oh yeah, berserkers were terrible. Oh my god, I, no, it was awesome. Well, I know, but there was for a while in third edition, the berserker had a real problem where he couldn't stop. <laughs> yes. Like you'd kill everybody, and then the only people left of your party, but you were still were berserking for another three rounds, and you had to attack somebody. <laughs> like, all right, who do I hate the most? I'm sorry, little guy. Chunk. We had a party member die, and we couldn't figure out how to like carry his corpse, so we stuck him in a bag of holding. <laughs> At least he didn't do it. A friend of mine did. They cut off. They cut off a head and brought that back. Oh. A true, a true resurrection can heal. Can heal as long as I got some of the body, right? I'll just bring the head. Oh my god, could it? Did that work? Uh, it, it had to be like the highest level res spell, but we had access to them at that point. So. Like, yeah, I think I only made it up to level 12. But it, yeah. was, it was still a lot of fun. That's, that's, that's the thing is, it, it, it doesn't really matter if, if, you know, like, who's doing the most damage, who does this, who does that. What matters is the fun that you have playing it. And that's the advantage over something like WoW, where I like to to paraphrase Randall from Clerks, which is this game would be great if it weren't for all the fucking players. Yeah, and that that is a problem. I mean, the thing is, is too. I, I play I play isolated from like people a lot because I play with in a guild and we do a lot of raiding, and that's basically when I'm not raiding, unless I need something, I just go around and do stuff. Like I I do a lot of transmog farming. How how could you tell? And it's one of those things where I know I don't have to see people a lot, so I don't I don't run into them unless I decide okay I need to farm up some some justice points to get this transmog gear. Mm-hmm. Then I run into it. It's like and it's funny thing is that the bad stuff sticks with you more than the good stuff does. I've had some great runs. Like people are still there's still good people out there who are just cool and you they want to just get through a dungeon and it's fine. Like and funny thing is they always seem to be around at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> whenever I'm up, whenever I have insomnia and I'm playing World of Warcraft, I, I run into these people, 
And it's like they're 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 polite. Maybe they're Australian or something. I don't know. <laughs> a lot of times they do seem to be Australian, and it's just they're or polite. They're all and, Canadian. They're no, Canadian. I'm sorry. Can, <laughs> Canadians Canadians have a, a reputation for politeness that is completely invalid. The truth is, is that Canadians are rude, arrogant, contemptuous, and bragging jerks, just like Americans. But the big difference is that their biggest pride is that they're not Americans. <laughs> Like Canadians define themselves a lot against America in a really strange way. Like one time I was walking to a supermarket up here and I heard a woman saying to her daughter, Don't act like that. You want people to think you're American? That's literally what she said. And I was like, Wow. Okay, lady. It's funny too because to be fair, it's kinda assholes. Yeah, but they're not any better. Like, my God, personal space in Canada is is Canadians will get up to within a, like a, like six inches of you. They will push their carts into you like and th- this my wife tells me this is just alberta so if if canadians in the maritimes are friendlier that's cool and i a lot about canada i really like but this thing in supermarkets where they come right up on me i i'm sorry i was raised in a place where people might be armed and i won't know right <laughs> i don't want them near me it's like that dude might have a gun that dude might have a gun that dude and if i'm in florida that dude might shoot me and then get away with it because I, he was standing his ground i don't because know florida I'm never going to Florida again. Florida scares the shit out of me. Yeah, I am. Never- Arizona scares the shit out of me. Kansas scares. You know what? I just don't want to leave my house. Yeah, I don't. I don't ever want to go to Florida again because that's just terrifying. That like, dude threw popcorn at you, so you drew your gun and unloaded into him. Oh, and, and your oh. that's your defense, and your lawyer's arguing he was defending himself from popcorn. Dude, I don't know if you like. I've got a kernel in my eye once. It hurt a little bit. Killed <laughs> the dude over. I didn't feel the need to murder that person. Like, you know, maybe we just should stop killing so many people. I, I just, just a random thought. But you got, I was, I'm entitled to have my gun. I mean, Fuck I don't want to. You I have plenty of friends who love guns. Uh, I grew up like my 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 house was kind of survivalist. Like when I was 15, I knew how to field strip an AR-15 and get it ready to go again in like two minutes. But you uh, were actually, trained. You were taught the responsibility of a gun. No, right? we were trained no? that the Soviets were going to come and that I had to be ready to shoot them. In Maybe I should moment. stop talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I, but my point, stop my point trying to make a point. That, my point is just that I didn't – I don't hate guns and I don't feel like we need really any more gun laws. We need to enforce the gun laws we have, which are plenty, and they're not well enforced at I all. I hate like, the people that have them and don't respect the responsibility of them. Yeah, that's terrifying. But it's also terrifying to think about how – easy it is to get around gun restrictions mm-hmm. like if if you if you don't if you're selling a personal collection you don't need a license oh god so if you just if you're not selling like you know if you're not a gun dealer but you're selling guns that you just plain own personally you don't need a license so there's gun shows where people just go and buy guns and there's mm-hmm. there's no oversight on them and the really thing the thing is is that there's laws telling you you shouldn't be doing this we don't need a lot of new laws we really don't. I'm not a libertarian. I'm just saying that in this case, the U.S. has got a crazy quilt of laws about guns. We don't enforce them because the ATF is terrible and they're not funded for anything. And it's just that to me, I, I know there are people that are responsible with guns. I'm not trying to take guns away from anybody. I don't support going house to house and taking people's guns. But well, for depends. the love of God. Have you killed somebody over popcorn lately or well, yeah, that, that dude, that's the thing is like concealed carry laws and stand your ground laws scare the hell out of me. And – it's nothing to do with like Standard personal is bullshit. I don't even like – I don't care who you want to vote for. I don't care about anything like that. But I just – you know, you don't have to kill a dude for throwing popcorn it's at you. It's about human life, people. 
it's, 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 just, it's not a left wing right wing thing it's can we make people not be dying from this stupid shit and it's just like you know when there's so much money involved in these kind of situations it just it really it it really just terrifies me to even think about how, how complicated some of this stuff is and it seems simple like i i you know you feel like oh i understand how this works but you don't because you have no idea how much money is being spent on Egypt, on both sides and I, when I say this kind of thing, people think, I'm, oh, you're, you're just arguing about – no, man, liberal – there are way too many liberal lobbyists, just the same as there's way too many conservative lobbyists. There's too many freaking lobbyists. There's too many people in positions of political power who don't understand basic science. Oh basic science. God, yeah. yeah. If yes. you don't know – like if, if you don't understand simple scientific facts, not, not complicated scientific theories, very simple facts – if you're saying things like, well, you know, if a person doesn't want to be pregnant, there are things that get in the way. Oh, I was just going to bring that up. If you're raped, the, you know, you, the, the body has a way to reject that. Like our, like our vaginas have some sort of like, you know, chemical Morning. poison, yeah. which would be really awesome, by the way. I would, if that thing exists, I would love to implant that in my snatch and just be like, yeah, you're like an echidna with your like you know implant, implanted toxin, your, your <laughs> or some sort of like dissolving acid gland or something like that. So if I ever get raped, it'd be like. Bruh. That's just the thing. There's like lots of. This I want to- one. I want to be genetically modified. I want to genetically modify my vagina. <laughs> you hurt George. people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> George, why are you this? cringing? Very, very much so. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Have you, like, you heard know, my new indie band, Genetically Modified Vagina? We're going on tour on the Lilith Fair. Yeah, this is why she thinks that uh, Teeth is a, uh, what was it? Teeth a- was a lighthearted comedy. Yeah. It was. I can see it. I, I didn't particularly find it terribly amusing, but, you know, hey. Can't imagine why. I'm the one braving the wild, so to speak, so I can see why I might not be. <laughs> but to, to, it's, I don't know, I, a lot of the stuff... It goes back to that whole concept of you know your worldview. My worldview was shaped as very at a very young age. My worldview was shaped by my family, mm-hmm. um, and well, my grandfather. Everybody's. My grandfather came back from World War II um, dead inside, yeah. and I'm not I'm not being sarcastic here, and he, I'm not trying to make excuses for the fact that he was a terrible human being. I mean, my grandfather was horrible. I mean, he was World a doctor. Fuck people up big time. Yeah. But when he came back, I mean, uh, here's a story from when I was seven. And, okay. He came over to the house one day, and my mother would like not be in a room alone with him. Like she would not do it. And this is after he fixed her hand when she was sixteen. She worked for like he was running a boys' town, and she worked for him. They were clearing up fireworks after like a, a, a Fourth of July celebration. She picked one up that looked like it was a dud that hadn't gone off, and it exploded <gasps> in her hand. And oh. it took it took all the skin off of the palm of her hand. Oh, well, that could have been a lot worse. But ah. No. When I say like when it when you I've seen a picture of it before you know when she when before she passed she showed me a picture of it her hand looked like a giant fried egg was coming out of the center ah he had like third degree burns that went into the muscle tissue oh and he fixed it when I when I skin grafts and something he was a doctor I don't really know how he did this but when I when I was a kid she'd show me the hand and there was like barely like a little puckering okay you couldn't tell and the thing is is I found out later when he, like, he came by when I was seven, he started telling me stories. He would come by. My dad was never there. My dad was always at work, and my mother would like leave me alone with him. She didn't want to be with him. And he would put me up on his lap, and he would talk very gently to me in a very quiet voice. And I didn't understand what he was telling me at the time because I was seven. Mm-hmm. 
he was telling me about Auschwitz because he'd been there. He was a doctor in the U.S. Army. He was one of the ones who tried treating people at Auschwitz, and they died. Oh, fuck. They died from getting food because they had not eaten in so long. He would tell me his entire life story. He told me all sorts of stuff he'd done that I wasn't old enough to process. I, and I didn't – like I literally, I literally didn't understand half the words he was using. Do you think that's why he was talking to you? Because you knew, he knew at some level you wouldn't – He knew he was going to die. He was like – he died the year after. Oh, okay. Um, he knew he was he wasn't going to be around. And like so maybe he kind of, wanted to use you as kind of a confessional, maybe. Or I don't know. I I never really thought too much about it, other than the fact that he probably just wanted me to know something about him before he died. But he was he'd like he he spent like the fifties and sixties in an emotional coma. Like he loved his wife in an abstract sort of way. Like you know we we met before war, and so I I love you, but he didn't really commit properly. Like he couldn't care anymore. And he went through his entire life like that until he died. He just was detached. And as a result of this, my, I, every time I look at anything in my life, I'm always like when – I'm, when I'm having arguments with people, when I'm fighting about politics, anything, I'm always looking f- to try and understand how they think, even if I think it's repulsive. I want to understand them. Like uh, here's, here's another example. I'm very – I'm pretty strongly pro-gay rights. Like I think yes. you know, gay people should get married. I don't have any problem with any of that stuff, but I get the fear on the other side. I get being someone's father and hearing your child tell you they're gay, and even if you're not hateful, you flash to all the shit they're going to have to go through, right? and you flash to all the life they're not going to have, and you don't care that you know society should change because you looked at it and you're, you're the age you are and you don't think, well, society's never going to change. We need to live in the now. We can't you know, worry about living in 20 years from now. So I get there's like – that's with everything. I see that and I understand it. And sometimes it's really good. Like it helped me write my books and that's great and I'm glad I wrote them. But it's really hard to like actually give a shit about the opinion of hateful, loathsome people. Yeah, you know, like there are people who are just freaking terrible, and the worst part is it comes up in the weirdest ways. Like I remember back when uh, Eric Noah used to have a site that was like the D twenty when when D twenty came out when they made third edition D anD D. Guy named Eric Noah made a website that was basically just all about it, and it turned into this huge phenomenon called the Ennies. Like he gives awards for like role playing games and so forth. And I remember on the boards there, there were some there are some games that that have been put out over the years that are beyond terrible. There's a game called Cinnabar, which is just... Yeah, you've heard of Cinnabar, man? Oh, yes, yeah. I've heard of Cinnabar. What is world it? of Cinnabar. Oh, man. Cinnabar is one of those things... For some reason, it makes me think of Cinnabon, and now I'm hungry. Well, you won't be if you ever actually play Cinnabar, let's put it that way. Okay. Cinnabar is one of those games. It's not the worst game ever, and I'm going to talk about the worst game ever in a little bit, but... Oh, no, I played Final Fantasy XIII. No. <laughs> oh, no. World of Cinnabar was bad. It was a really poorly designed role-playing game that was basically just... It was a rule lawyer's dream, and it was full of masturbatory rules for no reason. But I discovered through that, like, a guy I was talking, he's like, oh, that game's not that bad. And I was like, it's not. It's terrible. It's the worst game I've ever seen. He's like, oh, no. I will show you the worst game ever made. And he showed me Fatal. Fatal what, is... What was Fatal, it? Fatal is an acronym. And originally it meant... Fantasy adventure to adult lechery. Fatal is oh dear. Fatal is a rape simulator disguised oh, as, disguised as a D and D game, God. and it's it is the worst thing human beings have ever done 
with role-playing. It is by far the worst role-playing game ever made. It is not just ineptly made. It is not just loathsomely made. It is not just a core of horrible bullshit that gleaned from a couple of textbooks that he wrapped in an AD&D clone that he then amped up the confusing rules to 11. It is also racist. It is also violently misogynistic. And it, disgui- it disguises all this as realism. Bingo. It has, it's got a hundred pages of rules for things like genital warts you'll get from magic curses, flatulence. I hope he gets all of them. Wait, there's Ra- fart rules? We got to work oh, that in our next campaign, George. Multiple, <laughs> multiple rules for how one goes about raping people in a medieval society. Oh my God. I just, I can't. There's a review of it on RPGNet that is epic in, in how it like basically talks about this is worse than if the Necronomicon was real. And, an and actual I guarantee game. you in the comments there are going to be some people, LOL, feminazis, so upset. No, no. The only people who defended Fatal were the people that wrote Fatal. Oh, thank God. And they had some sock puppets, mind you. Even people who are actively misogynistic feel like, yeah, Fatal's pretty repulsive. Yeah, there's really no defending this. There's like... You know, there's like rules for circumference of anatomy and how to expand it. There's rules for what level of child molestation was, was permissible in a medieval society. It just, I, it goes on and on and on and on. Uh, worst, uh, I wish we could just jail people for this yeah. sort of thing. The worst part about all this, this thing that my grandfather gave me is that I get where that guy was coming from. How? I don't like it. Here's the thing. It's just alien to me. I can explain it, and it's not going to make you feel any better. But Probably imagine, not. imagine if you're inept at something as fundamental. Oh, easy. Yeah, <laughs> you're inept at something as fundamental as understanding other people's feelings, which is something a lot of people have. Understanding other people's feelings is really hard, and if you don't get their feelings, and you keep going out there, and you you put out what you think is perfectly acceptable behavior, and it's not acceptable. And you can't grasp that it's you, then you think it's them. Once you've made that decision, once you've decided, well, I tried to be nice and she just rejected me, and that happens a couple hundred times because you're very, you're very socially awkward. If you internalize it, you become hating. You hate the people for rejecting you instead of looking at what you're doing and trying to modulate it. It's the p- people who, who fail at societal in- integration, fail at empathy, and fail at understanding that the fault lies in themselves and their behavior. It's very easy for them to start falling into the, well, then I'll do whatever the fuck I want. And then negative reinforcement becomes positive reinforcement to you. You do something loathsome. Everyone gets mad. Now they're interacting with you. So you do something more loathsome, and everyone gets mad, and they're interacting with you again. It's it becomes this spiral of shitty behavior. And it's then you the run for thing. Congress. Yeah. <laughs> I hope to God the guy who wrote Fatal never runs for Congress. But yeah, in a He'd way probably that get actually, elected. Yeah. If you if you're the kind of person who becomes good at reading other people, that is like one of the ways that one can become successful politically. You can become a political animal because you understand how to negatively affect people. Karl Rove is a master at it. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have that level of intelligence. Did you read that um that thing that they came out with where they, they said that internet trolls were actually horrible people and here's like the scientific proof? Like the people who go in and just like 
talk shit about other people for the lulls and make people angry because it's fun. It's it, that's the only time that they have that sort of interaction. It's like you want to feel sorry for them, but after like the twelfth time, it just wears on you. Yeah, you, there's, a, there's as, a huge difference between understanding them and feeling sorry for them, and it's all the same thing. The internet troll thing, the guys who write games like Fatal, the people that go out and deliberately piss people off on message boards. There's there's like there's these are different like mentally levels. ill people, and I and I want to pity them, but they're such assholes. I it's can't not even necessarily. It's let's not say they're mentally ill because there's plenty of people with real mental illness that are not like this. I'm mentally ill, and I'm not an asshole. So what's your yeah. you know what's their excuse? It's just a question of they've got to have uh, some sort of social problem. It's not even the social problem, although they do have it, but you can have the social problem without being like this. You can be the kind of person who just doesn't get social cues but not want to hurt people. But when you blame them for your lack of understanding social cues, it's not me. It's them. That's where I think – I think really think that's where the when you, when you get angry instead of looking at what you're doing and trying to modulate it. You get mad. Maybe I have a lower tolerance for it just because, you know, I'm a, a female, I'm a female and I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a gamer. I'm a huge oh. comic book nerd. Uh, you know, I, I play D&D. I play, you know, all kinds of shit. And, and I'm like, you know, I, I, I played guitar for a while there. And so it's like all these traditionally male-oriented fields – Oh, and yeah. I've never had too much of a problem, like, directly around me. It's the people, like, you know, just out on the internet or, you know, shit like that. And it's just, it'll wear on you over and over and over and over again about, like, and, and you know, how, this has sent me into, like, spirals of depression. George, you've seen this, where, like, you know, mm-hmm. they keep passing laws to, like, restrict women's rights and abortions, and then you, you, you hear people talk about LOL, stupid feminists. And, and I actually had a really good discussion with my friend Jason about what is feminism. He says that his that the problem that he has is that you use that word and you're associated with all the really loud crazies out there. I'm like, well, that's just like being a Christian and being associated with the West, you know, the WBC, and, you know, they're not all like that. And he's like, yeah, but you only see the, the the visible ones are the ones that are the most extreme and see, they get the, the most thing, press here's the thing though you could have feminists be as loud and crazy as they want for a hundred years and they'd never in a million years match up to the loud craziness of people who don't even think they mean what they're saying you know it just it isn't it isn't an issue i don't worried about feminists i've never been worried about feminists they're not going to hurt me what, they might dislike me. I don't really care. They're not the ones out there arguing to control my body or the bodies of my wife or there has other people in the There has never, lives. ever been yeah. anybody trying to make laws regulating a man's body. Imagine, imagine for a second if we actually made a law that men had to get invasive prostate screening before they could work. You know, you know what I'm saying? And before you could get you know, any kind it of checkup. It would check never up. happen. It would never happen. Exactly. It's just, and it is the kind of thing that, you know... It's one thing to understand it, and I do understand that that dislike and that you know be feeling left out, feeling you know I do my like, best and people reject me. But it's when you blame other people and turn it into your identity to make other people feel like shit. That's what gets me. That's because it it is it is lacking in basic human understanding. It is it's, it it refuses to understand that other people have feelings, you know and. You so, understand so how, do you, have the how do you open a conversation with these people? How do you get into a dialogue with these people who are so hateful they're not willing to listen? Can't. Oh, exactly. That's an unfortunate so that's, yeah. Just if everybody just tried to make their one little corner of you know society a little tiny bit better, 
that's well, okay. Too. If that's the best you can do, good. Well, the other thing, though, is to my, to my, in my experience, it's funny how the world life will surprise you. It, it doesn't like necessarily. Sure, things are not going to change magically or overnight, or even in a way you expect. But I, I remember being in my twenties, like in nineteen ninety, when Kirk, you know, the nineties when Kurt Cobain killed himself. Oh yeah. And remember, I was grew, grew up through like that period of time. I was in DC in nineteen ninety seven, and looking back at when a, when a, when a fairly cons- he was fairly centrist. Bill Clinton was a fairly centrist president. Mm-hmm. And the best he could come up with was "Don't ask, don't tell," and there was no, there's no sign of anything like. Now look at what we have now. Look at what's going on state after state. Sure, a few states are trying to pass ridiculously restrictive laws on you can't, you know, marriage between a man and a woman. That's it. But look at what's happening. There is a huge pushback against that kind of look, thinking, and that does what, give me hope. Look at what this Supreme Court did, and look at who they are. This is the most conservative Supreme Court you could possibly have gotten. Roberts is like the poster boy for conservatism. Look what they have done. I like Society, how they're following logic and, and actual yeah. constitutional laws. And I'm lawyers, like, okay, that's good. Even, even guys like Scalia, who's a just uh, – Anton Scalia is a douchebag. I'm just going to say it. Mm-hmm. But uh, even guys like him, you know, in the end, there's, there's a limit to how – Society will surprise you. People will surprise you. Things will change that you never expected to see change. It's one of those things that, you know, it keeps me from, like, sitting, going to bed and not getting up. Yeah. It's to see what the hell are they going to do now. Uh, Life is fascinating in that way. Did you read the blog Eight Years in Azeroth? I think I did read it. It's fascinating. I love it. It's about this uh, this horde guild, Descendants of Draenor, that's been around since like vanilla beta, and and how he like it, it, it's basically like the story of of you know running this guild and and you know how to you know whip these people into shape and do this and progression and the weird things that would happen and and funny stories about the time he had to call 911 you know when in the middle of Algalon and it's it, it's just great it's a great look back and it it gave me a lot of really good you know ideas on how to run a guild this guy would used to run pug groups for um uh Alduar 25 and he and he he wrote this sentence about like 25 strangers working together to clear a raid. I can't imagine what kind of psychopath would do such a thing. And then I felt as though somebody had walked over my grave. And and the comment that I posted was, breaks down crying. <laughs> I was just like... Well, keep in mind, I'll uh, give you an example then of something I did back in the old days. I ran, and I ran this for quite some time. I ran a Nax 40 pug during BC. Are you okay? Well, here's Do you the need thing. a hug? The thing about the Nax 40 pug was that even at level 70, and le- I'm talking level 70 Black Temple slash Sunwell gear, Nax 40 was still hard. Like, harder than those two dungeons. Because the mechanics were so unforgiving that even when you outgeared it by 10 levels... I've heard horror still, stories about patchwork. It was still hard to run. Um, and we didn't... A lot of time, we didn't get past uh, Saffron. Right. Oh, we yeah. straight up didn't get past it, even with forty people at level seventy in like good gear. I love being because, level ninety and soloing that. Yeah, but it's it's funny that you know 
we just did it because we didn't know how crazy it was. We didn't know this stuff was nuts. We didn't know 40 people in Molten Core for like three drops at the most per boss. You know, we didn't because there wasn't any other game in town. But it's just it's funny because I'm not good at nostalgia. Like, I don't like things just because I used to do them. And I don't think things I did were are automatically superior. I'm not one of those people that just goes, oh, back in vanilla. It was like, no. I I really have a hard time with nostalgia. Even when they're right, I have a hard time with it. The hey, idea that something hey, is better hey, Matt, just Matt, past. Do you, do you know why WoW players hate chocolate? No. Because they like everything better in vanilla. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not funny. That's Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, but it's so true. Go ahead, though. I'm sorry. No, th- that's my point. It's just, it's just I'm not one of those people. I'm I'm pretty constantly anti nostalgia. I'm anti nostalgia in everything. I'm anti nostalgia in my like role playing, like you know, arguing D and D things. I can't argue against fourth edition the way some of my friends can because I I know that the reason I like three point five better is that I know three point five. Yeah, Do you know what I'm saying. That's why, well, that's why I like Dragon Soul the best is because yeah. that was the first raid I ever really like progression raided in. And that's the thing about nostalgia is it tends to – it colors us not just in gaming. It, color, it colors our lives, period. And it's the dangerous thing about getting older, and it's one of the reasons why I don't trust myself as much now that I've gotten older. Because it's very easy to forget the stuff that is not part of – like you look back and say, oh, this was better, and you forget the bad stuff. Or you only see the bad stuff and you don't see the good stuff when looking at new things. And there's that fear of trying new things. Like people are afraid, really, really afraid of looking like of failing, of being seen to fail. Yeah. And as a result of that, people like things they already understand and already know. And that's one of the things like I I'm sitting there this this morning, I've been arguing on Twitter back and forth about the whole, you know, forcing people to run like challenge modes and not challenge modes, uh proving grounds to get mm-hmm. silver in order to queue for heroics in the next raid. I mean, next uh, expansion. And I realized that one of the reasons I don't like it is it feels like we're going back to attunements. We're, we're, you know, Wait, we're that's the thing they're going to do? Yes, that's the thing they're going to do. Oh, right? they shit. Give it. And the thing is, it's not even that getting silver is hard. I've done it. It I is to silver. me. I suck. Yeah, you'll pick it up. Especially if you do the, the DPS one is, is not that hard for a The power. DPS one is the one I'm sucking at. You know, you'll, you'll pick it up. That's not the point. My point is just that it feels like a design choice that's going back to BC. Anytime a design choice looks backward to me, I look at it side eye. I don't immediately like it. This is my like. This is one of the reasons that I never liked Rifts. Uh, Rifts, not Rift. The MMO Rifts, the RPG, the yeah. Paint, kind of paper. Yeah, yeah. I'm what actually throw, I'm throwing this one out for George. And if you want to talk about Rifts, go ahead. Yeah, poor George. You haven't even spoken like this. Whole time. <laughs> Oh, Rift, that's, uh, God, how do I describe that one? Um, basically, take everything and throw it together and unbalance it, and that's Rifts. Yeah, yeah. every every Rifts book that came out added new classes that were ridiculously overpowered compared to the old classes, yep. and this kept happening. Like, every book, like, Rifts World Book 4, this one has dragon juicers. What? What are dragon juicers? Well, juicers, but dragon juicers. What? What does that mean? Holy shit, I don't even understand. So you could take a dragon and you could squeeze it over this little weird pointed thing and gather the More light. or less, this is what you were doing. Yeah. Juicing dragons. But it, anyway, like, it, it went on and on. Dragons and crazy, on crazy steroids, crazy. maybe. But the thing about Rifts was really, Rifts was ultimately at its core ridiculously conservative. 
it looked progressive because like like he said it put everything in and constantly unbalanced it which just made it ad and d it was just big crazy flashy loud ad and d with monty hall syndrome cranked up to 11 it was let's kill everything get all the loot and have all the super ridiculous powerful things and just keep getting more and more which is in its heart reactionary it's mm-hmm. the heart of of classic just go and kill rpg power gamers wet dream <laughs> exactly and it was that's that that is a regressive design you know whether it's legislation whether it's games whether it's anything when i see an appeal to the past just because it's past, I'm leery of it. Because, you know... I, I want to take this and I want to tangent off into something, if you don't mind. Oh, go ahead. You're a big comic book nerd. Oh, yeah. I'm a big comic book nerd. Taking into consideration your feelings on progressive versus regressive design, what are your feelings on the whole DC New 52? All right. Um, yes. there, are, there are some good books in the New 52. But what are you, what are you currently reading? What I'm just curious. Well, I I've been reading Greg Pak's stuff on action mm-hmm. because he's been doing a pretty good Superman, all told. Um, but otherwise, most of the stuff I pick up is Marvel nowadays. See, I got I got Batwoman, Batgirl. Can no? I just say how much I freaking love the Masters of the Universe comic? Well, I haven't already seen. Have. It's so good. <laughs> to, to get back to your original question. Um, the problem I have with New 52 is simple. Back in, 19, in 1986, they did Crisis on Infinite Earths. Oh, yeah. where they were going to, quote-unquote, simplify the complicated DC universe. And then and, now they've undone it. No, that's not the problem. I don't care that they've undone it. In fact, I thought it was a stupid idea in the first place because comic books should be gloriously messy. They should be complicated and goofy. They were at their most popular when they had that convoluted backstory that nobody friggin' understood. Because here's the thing. Kids will ignore that shit. They well, just want to see cool shit where Superman punches another Superman through a building and into the third Superman who then punches him back. You also have They're to understand okay. that in those old, like, you know, pre-crisis Bronze Age comics, what they would do is if they introduced somebody from Earth-1 or Earth-S or Earth-2 or Earth-X or whatever, there would be, like, one or two panels explaining it, and that was fine. Yeah. That's all well, you needed. They don't do that anymore. Just Carmen Infantino once told a story about how they, they noticed a sales trend that whenever there was a gorilla on the cover of a comic book, it would sell gangbusters. <laughs> they never figured out why. So they would just randomly put – Gorilla Grodd exists because they, they so they could put gorillas on the covers of things. Because <laughs> it would sell. People would be like, what's the gorilla doing? I know that that's all ridiculous, and we like to think we're way more sophisticated now, but in the heart of it, comic books should be a mess. They should have complicated, ridiculous backstories, and no one should care. When they tried to, quote-unquote, simplify it, they were trying to do to DC what Marvel had done to itself. But the problem was that Marvel came out of a system where everything came out of one guy. Stan existed. He was there. He was the central thing. DC was born in the 40s. As national periodicals, thirties. Oh, okay, but DC itself was born out of the forties. You're talking what you're talking about is before it even existed. You're talking about uh, action comics and detective comics, which is why DC is called DC. But before that, national periodicals, when it became a, a thing in the forties, it became a thing by by people buying other companies and putting them together. Each of these companies had its own separate editorial system, and they didn't talk. Superman had an Atlantis at the same time that Aquaman was, was developed. Aquaman's a character from like 1941. 
and Aquaman had an Atlantis, and they didn't have anything to do with each other. Even when the Justice Society came to being, outside of the Justice Society comics, Green, Lan- Green Lantern and the you know, Our Man didn't talk and didn't have anything to do with mm-hmm. each other. So as the 50s rolled along, as the 60s rolled along, and DC tried to, to weave all this stuff together, a guy named Gardner Fox came along and said, Fuck Earth it. Two. Earth 2. It happened on a different planet. And sometimes the guys from Earth 2 will come to Earth 1. And then he was like, then there's an Earth 3 where they're all villains. And there's an Earth 5 where the Nazis took over. And when DC bought um, Fawcett Comics and suddenly owned the Captain Marvel family, mm-hmm. Earth 5, where the Earth S, where the Shazam people live. And this all built up to Marv Wolfman in the, in the 1980s saying, it's too complicated, we're going to make Crisis, and we're going to reboot it from day one, and we're going to start it all over again. He did the first part. He didn't do the second part, because he left DC to go to, to Hollywood and sell you know, movie treatments. So they didn't reboot anything. And the problem is, is that they have thought for the past 30 years, they've believed that it was the lack of the reboot that was the problem. Oh, my God. They do it like every five, ten yeah. years. They just blow yeah. it all up. And it, Flashpoint was – and everything that came after with the New 52, they tried to compress their entire history into five, Down to five years. And that's what sucks. Here's what DC has that Marvel doesn't have. Legacy characters. Or, yeah, legacy characters and the fact that they've been Same. running since the freaking Second World War. Marvel has Captain America and Prince Namor and a robot, the, mm. the Human Torch robot. DC had tons of stuff. Does Human Torch robot still exist? Yep. I have no idea. Well, the Human Torch has actually made an appearance in um, Cap- uh, Ed Brubaker's Captain America run. I thought – didn't I read that though and I don't yeah. remember it. Well, he, he was basically in a, in a capsule the entire time and somebody was trying to steal him. But it, but to get back to like the problem with the new fifty two, it, it's part what you just said the idea that they could try to compress that seventy something year history down to five. It's partly because I mean they held on to some characters that were interesting, like for instance Batwoman. Um, that's actually I will never comic, stop talking about how much I love that. That's a comic that's to me is fascinating because it is a terrible idea executed well. Because the terrible idea isn't the terrible idea isn't lesbian as a superhero. Terrible idea is let's make a lesbian Batman so that we can you know have horny teenage boys get all turned on. But have you read it? Well, have you that's read my point. What her I've read several. Was? I've read like, several of them. I, I got mad when they did the thing where they, where DC got pissy about the marriage. Oh, that was, was so. I did like a whole episode on that where I was raging yeah. about that. Yeah, it was it was a bad idea that was executed well by good writers that that had to fight their way through bad editorial decisions to do the good writing. They will never stop being pissed off that they canceled J.H. Williams' story. And so that's what bothered me about the New 52 in a nutshell is because you lose characters like Renee Montoya. I know. The new question. You lose characters like – you lose Stephanie Browns. You lose – Stephanie um, Browns coming back. Yes, but that's she won't be the same character. No. You lose Maybe. characters like no, she won't be the same because that's mm-hmm. the point. They've they've gone out of the way to make the characters not be the same. When they relaunched the Superboy comic, I liked Clone Superboy. What they the problem with their revamp of the New Fifty Two is they fixed what wasn't broken. When Fifty Two came out, it did an excellent job of dealing with the fallout from from Identity Crisis and Infinite Crisis. Do you know how Neither much of those I books Blue were good. Beetle. Yeah, that was stupid, but. Neither Identity Crisis nor Infinite Crisis were very good, but at the end of Infinite Crisis, you had the multiverse set up. Through 52, you saw what it was. 52 was way better than it had 
any right to be for a comic that came out every freaking week. It was magical. It, I loved it. It had a lot of really good issues. Then, as soon as they were done, they started Countdown. And Countdown was shit. Have you watched <laughs> Linkara's review of Countdown? He did every single issue, and I just wanted to cry. I haven't actually seen that. I've been watching his recent stuff, but I haven't seen much oh, of his Oh, God. Look at, look at his Countdown reviews, because it's... it's Countdown oh shit from beginning to end. It was shit. It was abysmal. Then after they got through that, they had that period of time. There's about a period of like four years where they went into Final Crisis. And I honestly, I'll defend Final Crisis. I liked a lot about Final Crisis. But it was I, so much that didn't make sense. And then you got like Grant for- Morrison doing whatever the hell he wants. That's the thing is Grant Morrison's one of the few writers where I'll let him do whatever the hell he wants because he'll give me a Batman comic where Batman dresses up in the costume from the old 50s Zuran Ah story and it makes sense to me at least. But that's the thing is like Final Crisis makes perfect sense if you look at it from like uh, if you take all the Final Crisis stuff and you look at it from outside the initial Final, Final Crisis storyline. It's such a mess. Mm, the, the problem I mean, with Final Crisis was The whole thing with Mary Marvel. I mean, they didn't know what to do with her. That's because of Countdown. That's because they pushed Countdown in and said, we're going to need to have this Countdown series because we need another weekly comic. And Grant didn't tell them, this is what I'm doing with her in Final Crisis. They just knew she was going to be evil in Final Crisis. So we have to explain why. Grant's like, no, I have a perfectly good explanation That's for why. That's my fucking problem with DC right now is nobody yeah. talks to each other in editorial, and, editorial and, and I can't even like speak to that like you know personally or anything like that I don't work there but it's like I'm a, I'm a reader you can tell it's fucked up over there you know yeah. nobody's talking to her you got Brian Azzarello doing whatever the fuck he wants over in Wonder Woman which may I say is pretty terrible let's talk about what's really wrong with Wonder Woman in the new 52 in a nutshell they decided she had to be cool. I don't That's the like problem with a lot of the new 52. what made her special that she had yeah. like like Gail Simone put it she doesn't need a father she has a thousand mothers. They took away Paradise Island. They took away her her core. You know, ultimately she's supposed to be teaching us a better way. What's wrong with Wonder Woman in the revamp is what's wrong with the revamp. There's a Batman Superman comic written by Greg Pak where are with the new 52 Batman and Superman at the beginning of their careers go over to quote unquote earth Two, the earth two series they have there mm-hmm. where there's an established Batman and Superman that have known each other for years and have been friends for years. Oh, the ones they killed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they, they run into them before that. And there's this whole thing where the, the, the earth two Batman and Superman are classic DC in their attitudes. They're heroic. They're, always finding a better way. They're everything we remember from the 60s and 70s and even the 80s. And as a result, at the end of the story, it comes right out and says, your, your world is going to lose because you didn't want to take this powerful MacGuffin and use it. You, you, weren't, you were heroic, but you weren't, wouldn't do what was necessary. <sighs> your world's going to lose. And I'm sitting there reading this going, this is exactly what's wrong because Wonder Woman shows up in this and she's the classic Wonder Woman. She's... Diana, as you remember her from like you know every story where like it's basically like Lost Frontier Wonder Woman. There's the door of Spaceman. New Frontier. New Frontier. Sorry, and it's that's exactly the problem with the New Fifty Two is when it works, it works by building on stuff that was there before the New Fifty Two came out. When it doesn't work, it's because it jettisoned the path to give you something that's new and edgy. They try so hard to be. They try so hard to be dark and edgy. Uh, they try so hard to be dark and edgy that they don't write stories 
they see that dark and edgy sells like bat, like like Christopher Nolan's Batman, and then they try to apply it to somebody like Superman. And what they don't understand is what works for one character is not going to work for another. See, I I'm still on the fence about Man of Steel. I I, 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 I won't watch it. it. I won't I watch it. Watching it when I watched it, I liked watching it until that one scene. I'm in the movie theater. I'm going to say it right now. If you haven't seen Man of Steel, here comes some spoilers. It's been oh, I, I don't care. I, I read everything that happens, and I'm just like but not going to watch. When it. you get to that one scene. I was sitting there in the theater, and he's doing the whole, you know, you stop me, you have to kill me, he visioning people. And I immediately said to myself, you know, there's ten different ways he could stop this without killing him. And I was actually sitting there with my wife, and my wife put her hand on my hand because she knew. And I was like, no, 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 no. And he did it. And that's when I realized Man of Steel is John Byrne <laughs> again. It's John – Nolan and Goyer – are drawing from the 80s so hard. And that's what the New 52 is. But that is. one story that John Byrne wrote had such an impact because yeah. they're literally... The like, I mean, that haunted him for the rest oh, of yeah. his life. Ex- you Exiles, saw that... Yeah. Exiles is one of my favorite Superman storylines. The Exiles story where he goes up into space because he can't deal with it, and he eventually works through his guilt... The problem with doing that in the movie is we don't get to see any of that yet. Exactly. There was going. And, there were going to be Superman stories after that that would deal with that. The well, problem plus is Byrne, here they're, they're banking on a sequel to explain. Yeah. Like a lot of the people who are defending the next snap is that this is supposed to be what's to. This is supposed to be him, like you know, creating his code against killing. I, this was I the thing that traumatizes him and never doing it again. But that banks on movies aren't like comic books. You can't do that in a medium where you're not necessarily going to get a sequel where you're not going to see what happens well, next next month. You're, you're going to get a sequel. They yes, knew they you were, are. Yeah. Of, of course you are, but let's face it, if it had bombed, we wouldn't have seen it. No, that's true. We need but to have it within its own continuity. Of- with, that, with that happening, though, my, my biggest problem isn't that it's out of character and it isn't that it's unrealistic and it isn't even – I don't necessarily have a problem with it so much as I just viscerally didn't like it. But I do think it's at least an interesting way for Nolan to go. But in the New 52, they don't have interesting things. There's not even like – we can sit here and argue about Man of Steel and have back and forth about it and not come to an agreement, but at least it's worth discussing. There is fuck all to be worth discussing in New 52 half the time. Forever Evil is tedious. It's tedious, and that's the problem. Marvel, not that I like everything they're doing, but I've, not, I've yet to see Carol Danvers do anything that I found tedious. Right. I've, I've not been bored. Did you pick up the new Ms. Marvel? I've not picked up the new Ms. Marvel. I was it's reading it for a while. I want to. I just haven't had a chance. Oh, you can but probably it's... grab it on Comixology cheap. Yeah. The the biggest problem with that, like, for all that Marvel does stuff I don't really like, like, I'm loving Mark Wade's Daredevil run, though. Mm-hmm. I was not at Daredevil, so. No, the Mark Wade's Daredevil is really good for one reason. I was reading an issue where he brought Elektra back, and Elektra and Daredevil are talking. And she said to him, like, he's trying, how do I get through this? How do I get through this problem? And she's like, Matt. First off, you talk too much, and now you're making me do it. <laughs> Secondly, what direction – if I was going to attack you right now, what direction would I come at you from? And he's like, I don't – because what direction would I come at you from? You do know. Come on. What direction? He goes, you wouldn't come from any direction that I could anticipate. You never do. And she's like, there. That's how you solve your problem. And I liked it because he kept the spirit of Elektra as somebody who is dark and somewhat of an assassin, but worked it into a classic superhero story. And you can do that. If you want to have a Wonder Woman who beats people up more than she did before, you could do that and still keep her Wonder Woman. The fact that she's the daughter of Zeus 
it's dumb because she had an origin that was easily understandable. No, it's too complicated. There's Born nothing complicated play. about it. Right? You, That's do my you not, argument. If you are at all conversed in either Greek mythology or the fucking Bible, you understand this basic idea. It's a golem, effectively. She's made out of clay. Boom, now she's a, a human woman because it's just like the story of Pandora. And that's what pissed me off about them then bringing Pandora in because that's how Pandora was formed in actual Greek mythology. They made her up out of dust and turned her into a real woman. That's exactly what Wonder Woman's origin was. issue back in, um, I want to say the late 80s, early it – was, it was Wonder Woman 45 – uh, Post crisis, and it was the st- it was the story of Pandora told three different ways with with three different like endings, and they all kind of tied into, you know, Wonder Woman being born of clay. And there was a suggestion towards the end that the clay on Paradise Island was the clay that you know Pandora was was born from. And I thought that was kind of cool. This goes back to a few years ago, though, to to talk about the Marvel DC divide. I have a copy of Brubaker's Immortal Iron Fist sitting here. Mm-hmm. You ever read Brubaker's Iron Fist? I was never interested in Iron Fist. I was always go, with a DC girl, which is why it's so heartbreaking right now. Go pick up Brubaker's run on Immortal Iron Fist. It's a nice, short, self-contained, like I think it goes up to be like 20 issues in total. It's Man, I got so good. many trades on my on my Amazon wish list right now. I can't buy anything that I don't what, already want what, with all my heart. What Brubaker did with the Mortal Iron Fist is he went back over the entire mythology of the character, and he went back over the mythology of comic books in general. He pulled out a character named John Silence, who was now public domain, who was the Green Llama in the 40s, I believe. The green worked, Llama. Seriously, I know it sounds dumb, but seriously. Well, he, 40s. He ties, he ties this all together. He doesn't throw anything out. It's The thing about comic books is it's like they don't understand – the, the glory of them is how messy and complicated they are. The glory of Superman comics was that, that you know, Alan Moore could write, you know, for the man who has everything and write a story with, that touched on every ridiculous old, sil- you know, Silver Age I Superman love story. that story. And, it, you know, the fact, that that in, the fact that in his fantasy world, he gets married to Lila Lerol. The fact that in his fantasy world... Candor still gets taken. The fact that in his fantasy world, everything is slightly wrong, and it really does a great job of showing you who Superman actually is. I wonder how many people recognize the name Lila Laryl. Probably nobody, not but my dad had this huge collection of Silver Age shit, so I'm like, yeah, that actress from Krypton. Yeah, and the thing about that story is at the end of it, he rejects that fantasy world, not because someone tells him to. He rejects it because he knows he can't have it. I love the Black Mercy. That's a really sinister kind of weapon to use against. And the thing is, is that I'll give them credit that Eric Roberts did a good job when they did. They cast the. They did the cartoon adaption of For the Man Who Has Everything. It was too they short. Did that really, really well. Eric Roberts did a good job as Mongol because when he says, "It must have been like tearing off your own arm," <laughs> and you know, it, it was worse because he had to sacrifice. Everything. He had to sit there in that crater holding his son that he loved, that he remembered everything about that kid's life. He had to sit there in that crater and say, I don't think you're real. Yeah, I don't think you're real, and I have to go. And that's the difference in a nutshell between Superman and Batman. Mm -hmm. Batman would never have gotten out of the Black Mercy because he's not strong enough. And that's not a – he would tell you this. Well, because he's fucked up, man. I mean, he's traumatized by his parents. He dresses up as a bat and fights crime. If you put Batman and Superman in a room and you asked Batman, which of you is the better person morally, Batman would unhesitatingly point to Superman. Mm -hmm. 
He's the, you know, that's the one thing I liked about when Jeff Loeb was writing the comic. He had Batman say, "Deep down, Clark's a good person, and deep down, I'm not." You know, Batman is a terrible, horrible person who fights that, and that's heroic. Batman is a is a heroic character not because he dresses up like a bat and punches poor people, but because he's trying to do something with what happened to him to help other people. And yeah, he doesn't just do it fighting crime. He does it, you know, spends money on on poor people and spends money on charities and tries to make Gotham a better place. But he also dresses up as a bat because if he doesn't, he'd go fucking crazy. Well, he kind of already is a little bit crazy. Yeah, but at least but, he's trying to do. The difference between Batman and the Joker... Here's here's the best part, though. There was this Catwoman issue when they did that whole thing when she had her baby uh, right after... It it was in one year later stuff. stuff. Huh? The Snap Bradley thing? Yeah, the slam bat. Yeah, that thing. Um, and, and so she had her baby, and Batman comes in, and and he's he's holding little baby Helena, and and Selena's got this internal monologue, and she's sitting here like, this is this is what people don't know about the Batman is that deep down the whole reason for everything is to protect the innocent, so nobody ever has to go through what he went through ever again. Did you That's read Batman. You can't have a story where Batman... It makes no sense that Batman has five fucking wards. It makes no <laughs> goddamn sense. Why does he have so many... You know, He's got Dick. He's got Tim. He's got... Um, what's his name? The one that died and came back? Jason. 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 He's got Damien. He's got... What the... F- Not anymore, he doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yes, but the point was... we gotta the, kill some more kids. Cram them all into five fucking years? He had a busy five years. That was the stupidest idea was to c- try to compress it. Here, here's, here's, there's two main differences between DC and Marvel. Number one, uh, the DC heroes are more somebody you can aspire to be like. They're a little bit above us, but they're trying to show us a better way. Marvel heroes are us trying to fight against our everyday struggles and moving up from the ground. And DC, as a publisher keeps trying to reject its own history. It doesn't embrace it. It keeps trying to blow it up and start over to try to tell something new. And they end up just telling the same goddamn stories over and over again because it's something they, new. They put Marvel, out a comic book, they put out a comic book that where they said, this is the first iteration of the Teen Titans that has ever existed. Oh, and then oh. in the trade, they got rid of that. It was the stupidest thing to have ever even said. They it makes everything. no sense. And then it, and Marvel will at least embrace its long, stupid history, even if it's so fucking complicated, because just X-Men alone, man, you need like 80 flowcharts and, 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 and maybe like drugs to understand it. And that's just the, the Summers family. With the ex- yeah. Yeah, that's just the Summers family. When, when the, the least complicated Summers, Spider-Man, the, the least complicated Summers character is Cable. <laughs> I want you to think about that for a minute. Cable is probably the least complicated X-Men character. Yeah, I'm from the just, future. No, isn't that I, just Cyclops? Yes. Would, that's would just, just Cyclops. Would just be least complicated, I think. No, Cyclops is ridiculously complicated at this point. How? Mm-hmm. He's been the Phoenix like twice. twice. He dates tele- Here's the thing. Cyclops makes no sense if you think about this one thing. Cyclops, apparently emotional repression is catnip to telepaths. It's <laughs> not only Psylocke, is he, Gene, yeah. Maddie, not only is he is he directly boned two of the hottest telepaths in the world. He's got the third one kind of like hanging around on the side waiting. Maybe he'll dump the other one, and I can. Sl- it's like Cyclops. I like Cyclops, but no, this is not a dude who should be catnip. It's apparently emotional repression really does it for him. I can't get what he's feeling. I love that. 
But did you, gonna... did you did you read his when when Joss Whedon was writing Astonishing, he actually yeah. somehow through Joss magic made Cyclops cool, and I was like, what? Uh, it wasn't. It Joss basically just repeated. He actually outright just fucking repeated what was going on during the Neil Adams run. The problem was that Chris who cares? Cam- he did it so well, and John Cassidy job. wrote arguing. it like uh, drew it fantastically. The problem was that Chris Claremont hated Cyclops, so he made Cyclops into a stiff, so that he could Jeez. have it. Out just, like, you know, and it's funny because as much as Storm. Storm's a fun character, but not when Chris Claremont writes her, because Chris Claremont has this crazy, creepy obsession with mind control and supervillain. Oh, super- you linked to that. I was checking that yeah. out, and I was like, wow, that is that guy's got some personal issues. And the only reason that it doesn't seem as bad as it does is because John Byrne is worse. Yeah. Go look up. Go look up. Don't do it to me again. Sometime it's a it's a web thing someone did about John Byrne. John Byrne loves three things: one, having women turn evil. In order to show that they're like you know going through personal growth. Hi, Malice. Yeah, and in the Scarlet Witch. Secondly, oh. the burn hold when a guy grabs a woman by the throat, picks her up, and threatens to rape her. Oh my god! Burn loves that. He had Superman get mind control switched. I remember with a, that. Yeah. He has Superman's He's... threatening to rape Wonder Girl. And it's oh, like, oh yeah, is, yeah, that was like the first. That was the first issue of the Action Comics reboot. Yeah. And then oh in, the same, in the same reboot, he has a mind controller from Apocalypse named Sleaze. Mind controller. Oh, yeah, big big yeah. That skeeved me out when I was fucking eight, dude. As well, it should have. I was in like, I think I was 14 and I was like, ah. But the best part, though, the best part is Darkseid shows up with a videotape. I'm surprised it wasn't beta. <laughs> he, shows, he shows up with a videotape and they Dark just cut Side on people's couches. Yeah, he just shows up and he has the tape. He's like, here you go, Scott. And Scott puts it in. They just cut the Scott, screen. The, the, yeah. Ah! And the best part of that whole thing is, the best part of that whole thing, though, is afterwards, I wonder if like going, he's like, so, I don't want to talk about it, Scott. It's just that I saw Superman naked and I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I'm just, he's kind of, it's, and I'm just, I don't want to talk about it. You're a god for God's sake. Shut up. Okay. <laughs> really, you know what I mean? Like, you know, you see your wife having sex with Superman on tape like, and they never like do anything with it. Thank like, God. Even, even at the end of it, they're just like, let us never speak of this again, which is just yes. like, why did you even write it in the first place? Yeah. Oh my God, John, what were you thinking? So, you know, I guess there are points that we could, I, I wouldn't mind a new 52 cut that out, but I don't, I just think in general the rejection of your past is dangerous. They throw the baby out with the bathwater. And the worst part is that they're doing it while saying stuff like DC isn't trying to reach any new people. They say they are, but then they say things like, you know, we're just publishing comics for 40-year-olds. And it's like, are you fucking crazy? You had fucking Young Justice on the air. That was popular with teenagers. Did you see the David Willis comic uh, uh, in Short Pact where he was all like, you know, DC is bad at math because Teen Titans had like millions and millions of viewers and a comic book is only going to at best reach about 60,000 or so. And, and so they make Starfire this hor- you know, when they reintroduced her like this vapid sex toy. The th- I didn't re- I didn't read that, but it's basically an argument I think I've seen a million times and I agree with. Like, you know, yes Marv Wolfman had her be kind of sexy, but Movement and Perez never had her be vapid. She was exciting. She was engaged in the world. She was a very sex-positive woman, and that was great. And they broke a lot of ground with New, with, uh, New Teen Titans about that. They got, like, hate mail from having her and, and Dick sleeping in the same bed together. 
It's just that you know, it's like you it's like you read those comics and you didn't get that the cool thing about her was that she was funny and engaging and happy. But no, it's that it's that she shows off her boobs. That was you know the 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 Tamaranians they loved life you know, and 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 sex went along with it and they were very open about it and positive about it and it didn't really bother them. But they weren't like you know it wasn't you know I'm going to have sex cheesecake. Yeah, I am bored now. Let's fuck. That was that was how they reintroduced her. I am bored now. Let's fuck. They're like fuck you. God damn it. I wonder if Arsenal kept the baseball cap on. He's still wearing the trucker's hat. Trucker's hat, like that's the dumbest. Oh trick. my god! Although at least he doesn't have like one arm now and go around looking for drugs. And his dead like, daughter and swinging oh, kill, dead cats. Killing the, and... That's the thing is like, stuff like that that happened just before the New Fifty Two oh, is actually emblematic of the New Fifty Two. Yeah. The New Fifty Two is that is that two year period where DC lost its way and they decided to reboot, and that's the stuff they kept. And it's James Robinson that wrote that. Oh my god! And and. The, I okay. I know somebody who's really good friends with James Robinson, and I'll tell you right now that was editorial mandate right there. Half of that, that was, series, that, that whole thing, like you know, he's James Robinson. First off, is much better when he you give him his own corner of the universe, and it barely touches. Mm. Like have him write Starman, and if he doesn't want to write Starman anymore, give him something else that he takes off and go, and runs with. He Don't put him on a Justice League book. Yeah, exactly. That'd be great. Don't put him on Justice League because you're going to tell him what to do, and it's going to be terrible. Grant Morrison can do that. Grant Morrison can switch back and forth. He can give you a conventional JLA book. Although lately, lately nowadays, Grant doesn't seem very interested in being conventional, and I'll give you – All-Star Superman was great, but a lot of stuff he's written lately has just been kind of like, look how weird I am. All-Star Superman was one of the best Superman stories I've ever read in my entire life, and I've been reading comics since I was like two. But uh, I just – as much as I'm not a Marvel guy, I'm really not. Like, and, and I, I'll sit here and I'll criticize the end of Avengers all you want because the end of Avengers is terrifying. If you actually stop and think about it, there's a movie. Oh, are you going to do the property damage thing? They they blow up New York. They blow yeah, it they, all up. They, they, so don't even tell me. But the Marvel gets that even when we're condensing, when we're doing these movies and we're condensing, we still don't reject it. Mm-hmm. We don't reject the Hulk is this. He's not that. He's not the Hulk. When the well, Hulk is the Hulk, the Hulk does not go around murdering people and eat them. I'm looking right at you, Ultimate Universe. Blah. The Hulk, yeah, the Hulk. That is was the Hulk. horseshit. Yeah, and that's the same thing with like DC is just rejecting it back and forth. It's just that they're they they're can't make up of, their minds. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I, I could rant about this like literally all day. Uh, I, I'm, I'm the guy that basically sat down once and said that the best Superman story I ever read was one where he's off in space and he doesn't even interact with anybody but himself because it deals with something. John Byrne dropped a bomb on Superman and then he left. He had Superman kill the Phantom Zone villains and then he left. He did exactly what Man of Steel does, except at least the people doing the sequel are going to have to deal with their own mess. Byrne had Superman kill and then just left. And so the writers were like, what the fuck do we do but now? But at least they made the decision to have that haunt him. Yeah, no, they did a great job with it. Um, comics that deal with the past, people keep acting like, oh, it'll confuse new readers. First off, how stupid do you think new readers are? Do you, are you under the impression that children are dumber now than they were 10 years ago? Because I can tell you right now. Well, they don't write comics not. for kids. That's the point. That's why they're dying. That's why they've been dying since fucking 1990 speculator market. And that speculator market can go fuck itself right up the ass. <laughs> 
having those stupid covers, having Chromium covers. I mean, I read Valiant Comics. I liked Valiant Comics for a while. Harbinger was a good comic. Exo Manowar was a good comic. Archer and Armstrong was an amazing comic. And that was some of the best shit Barry Windsor Smith ever did. So... The, but the fucking chromium covers and the yeah. rare special edition number ones and the poly bagging and all the speculator shit and young the lines blood. around the block for death of Superman. I have yeah. like a fourth edition of that. It's worth about 75 cents. Yeah. I just, I mean, I remember when, you know, young blood image came out and people were talking about how it was going to be this great new thing. And I'm really depressed as hell to see Jim Lee doing like a kind of imageized new 52. It's like he's learned nothing in 30 years. And it's not that he's a bad artist or a bad guy. I have nothing personal against Jim Lee. I don't wish him ill. I don't want anything bad to happen to him. I just want him to change. You know See, what I mean? Yeah, well, I, th- I think, you know, like you, you say that, you know, like, well, how, how stupid do you think people are? It's, it's not that. It's that people were able to pick this stuff up back in the Bronze Age because they do, like, a two-panel recap. That's all you need to do. Or even, like... Over at Marvel, they are really good at on their their credits page. Here's what's been happening. They don't yeah. do that at DC. You never needed and it they though. Need like, to. The only thing you ever needed, like I remember reading the original cri- Crisis on Two Earths, and all you ever really needed is like you know the Justice Society, heroic adventurers from Earth Two, a parallel world not unlike our own. Boom. We're off to the races. I know that these guys are superheroes from someplace else. Yeah, they're not go. really good at condensing uh, like a, like why... a summary. Like, I you think know, that's why just I know give us what, one or two panels. I think this is why I know what's going on with Warlords of Draenor. And most people seem really confused by this whole thing. Because it's basically just fucking Earth 2. It's just Draenor that, 2. That's what I came up with, like, completely separate from you. Is I was like, okay, Draenor 2. Done. Yeah, Draenor 2, let's go. Do you never watch the show Sliders? Okay, well, it's basically that. But I mean, but time I travel and yeah, I, I think I, I think they kind of fucked up on that and tried to make that too big a deal and people are are, are kind of hung up on that like, well, time travel does that mean that they're gonna like fuck up our ass? No, this is time travel on an alternate Draenor. It's going the back fucking to- up. <laughs> the fucking up has already occurred. Yeah. Fuck upage has split world off. We don't have to worry <laughs> about that. We just need to stop those crazy sons of bitches for coming here. Yeah. That's all. You time travel to an alternate reality and then stop it from hooking up to ours. Yeah, that's but, uh, not that hard to figure out. A lot of maybe stuff- that's because we, you know, we grew up with comics yeah. and we know this shit. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm the guy that used to go. You know, I'm sad that they got rid of the Earth with like you know everybody was African American. I thought that was great. I guess it still exists because it was in Morrison's run on Superman. That's the thing is Morrison's run on Action Comics. Did you get a chance to read that? No, I, like I said, I, I can't afford to read like more yeah. than like three or four titles a month. If you get a chance to go and like just read through the trade, his run on action was actually really good. His his take on Mizzy S. Pitlick was great. Mizzy S. Pitlick does not actually appear in this, I actually but there's. I know how to pronounce it. I thought I was the only one. Yeah, well, the thing is, is, I know who, when I'm talking about Mizzy S. Pitlick versus Mix X Pitlick, who's the older one. Mix S. Pitlick is the one from the 40s, Mizzy S. Pitlick is the new one. That's the kind of crap that I actually remember. <laughs> There's two of them. I'm sitting here like, I must call you brother. <laughs> We've been in those trenches, man. And I, and I got all this, like, I, you're going to love this. I got to meet Stan Lee. 
at Wizard oh, really? World New Orleans, and I have the worst panic disorder like you could possibly imagine. I had to go to this convention full of thousands and thousands of people, and I had the worst time. I almost didn't make it. And, and so I get there, and his line's really short. And I go up to him, and, and like, y- you understand, like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a second-generation comic book nerd. I mean, I, this comes down from my dad. I learned how to read on, like, Spider-Man and shit like that. So as much as I'm a DC girl, I really, really identify with Spider-Man. Just why I'm so angry about it lately. I'll never stop being angry about Dr. Octopus, but that's, you know, another time. But it, I, got to, I got to look Stanley in the face, and I'm instantly, I'm crying. I'm like, you know, I've wanted to meet you my whole life. And, and you know, I, my, my, it gave me a bond between me and my dad that I needed growing up. And I learned how to read on Spider-Man comics. And, and even when I, like, I'm in public, I'm having on Twitter, like, this panic attack about going. And then, do you remember that, that uh, panel from Amazing Spider-Man 33 where he's trying to lift up that machine? And he's like, yeah. anybody can, yeah, I posted that panel. And I said, okay. Peter Parker wouldn't give up. I can do this. And I'm telling Stan about this. And, and and he's looking at me like like he's about to cry. And there's this whole rule where you're not supposed to shake his hand because arthritis. And you have to lean in because he can't hear for shit because he's 91. Yeah. And I'm telling him the story about like, you know, you know, Peter Parker wouldn't give up and, and, and I had to meet you and I had to tell you that, you know, growing up and, and reading about Peter Parker helped me deal with with my panic and and doing things like this and helping me not give up and and fight my depression and fight all that stuff and i wanted to thank you so much for sharing your imagination with the world and he's he puts his hand on top of mine and he said that he was very proud of me and it was the most one one of the most wonderful things he's ever been told and i'm like i'm crying again because it was just such a, a thing for me to meet stan and then he gave me a hug. He gave me a hug and he said, thank you so much. And I was just over the moon about that. <laughs> like, I got to tell Stan Lee what he meant to me. And he cared about, you know, me saying it. And I was just like, that's it. I can die. Yeah, it's it's hard to imagine, like, you know, Jeff Scott Lobdell doing that. Scott Lobdell is a piece of fucking shit. <laughs> Don't funny. get me started on that fucking asshole. <laughs> Everyone says that when I mention him. So. No, I actually, he's, I've, he's I've met Scott worm. Liddell. So. He's a worm. He's a sexist, asshole, fucking, you know, wannabe rapist, guy, uh, harasser, just, just loathsome. Yeah, and isn't he the guy who was writing... He's the uh, guy that, Teen that, Titans and Starfire yeah. into the yeah fuck that actually, guy. I don't think that that was actually Lobdell who did that because that was in uh, Red Hood and the Outsiders. I don't remember who was written that. But Scott Lobdell's a terrible person, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, although you know, I don't really know you, Lobdell. So you know, whatever. I don't care. He's a piece of shit. But and I'll he, tell him that to his face. I don't care. I mean, I've met enough uh, comic creators that I'm not going to care. I, I I know a lot of comic book creators that are really 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 nice guys, and I'm really really grateful for them. They're wonderful people. It's funny because when I was telling you before about Evanston, I was near Northwestern University in Evanston. There's a comic book shop, or at least there was at the time. Is it Graham Crackers? Might be. I don't remember because it was this was during six months. It's the biggest chain in uh, in Illinois, and I love Graham Crackers comics. I was in there, um, and I was talk. I just started up an argument with somebody because I do this sometime, and it was like he was like, "Well, you know, if Batman has prep time, he can beat anybody." Oh, one of those guys. And I was like, "Look." 
How does Batman prep against the Silver Surfer? You can't. While this is going on, someone walks in the store and someone's tapping me going, dude, dude. I'm like, no, I'm not stopping on this. And we kept going back and forth on this, this Silver Surfer versus Batman argument. The dude's like, hey, excuse me, can I get past you? I'm like, sure, I move. Let him get by. He starts going through the comics. We continue to have this argument. He goes up, pays, leaves. Other guy's like, that was Kevin Smith. <laughs> <laughs> you were arguing was, with Kevin Smith about it? No, the guy, oh, Kevin oh, Smith, the guy, the guy that was walked you. by. Was like, yeah. oh, okay. Because yeah, I can guy, kind of see Kevin Smith doing that with Batman. No, the, the guy who was trying to get by us so we could buy some comics and leave was Kevin Smith, who was in town to give a speech at Northwestern. And I basically would not stop, would not shut up with the Silver Surfer long enough to let him get by me. So I've always wondered if I'm, you know, there's going to be a negative portrayal of somebody in a comic book going on about Silver Surfer. It's probably me. I love that. That reminds me of the time when uh, my friend, uh, my friend Katie on, on Twitter gets into this argument about Man of Steel. With uh, with my friend Sterling, Sterling Gates, he did Supergirl uh, over at DC before the before the reboot. Uh, did you read it? Before the most recent reboot, I know and he I did the, uh, the the new Krypton storyline with Jeff Johns. Oh, that's a, that's actually not a bad story, then. No, that was a great story. So anyway, so she, I, I'm I'm kind of talking about it with uh, with Sterling, and then and then Katie comes in, and, and she starts arguing with him about like you know well this and that and this, you know like you know the movie and blah blah blah. And I had to DM her. I'm like, do you know who you're pissing off? <laughs> he he kind of wrote Superman. <laughs> and she's like, are you shitting me? <laughs> she backed off really fast after that. But I was like... Well, what did she say? I didn't know it was that Sterling Gates. I didn't know it was that Sterling Gates. How many fucking Sterling Gates do you think there are? <laughs> it's not like John Smith, a common name. Well, here's here's a story from when I was in London that will they'll give you a perspective on meeting people. Right. I went I went to the Barbican, which is the, the National Theater, and and also the Royal Shakespeare Company performs in London, not when they're not in Stratford. Uh, the Barbican they were having um, at the time it was ninety I guess it was like ninety five ninety six, and uh, I was going to see um, Henry V, the Ian Glenn, who has who's been in a few American movies. He's not like a big name over here, but uh-huh. it was a it was a good production. And during they have like bars and shit right there and you can get beer and bring it in like you know drink while you're watching it and so right. forth uh, and i'm sitting there and I, I i look less so now but at the time i had like four feet of hair and a giant friggin beard and i tended to wear like leather jackets with spikes on the shoulders and stuff Mountain men bikers so I'm, I'm sitting there drinking my beer and this guy comes up to me and he goes so you know what are you drinking there and i, I look at the guy for a second and i go uh, you know, not just this, you know, this stout, whatever. And he's like, can I buy another one? And so I'm like, okay. And he, you know, he buys me another drink and he goes, so, uh, you know, what are you, you know, what are you doing in London? Were you here for this, to see the, like, the show? You know, and I'm like, well, yeah, yeah, I wanted to see it because I'm, I'm an American student. And we, we, we don't talk back and forth about various things. And at one point he makes a comment and, and I, and he's like, you know, so do you like the theater? I'm like, well, it's not bad, Mr. Edgar. And he laughs because he's not David Edgar. And, you know, but I recognized him, so I made the joke because I actually – I was in a theater program at the time, so I knew lots of these people by, by how they looked. And so we're going back and forth. And he's like, you know, so what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, I want to write, you know, blah, blah. And he's like, you know, do you always look like this? <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> like, yeah, this is actually Does how I look most matter? of the time. Well, it kind of did actually. You know, he, he made a point like, you know, you will in your life probably get a little further if you don't look like you're going to kill everyone. <laughs> But he was very polite Tell about it. Tell that to Alan Moore. And so we're going back and forth on it, and he, he's like, he's you know buys me another drink, and we talk about theater, and we talk about plays, we talk about um like the play, 
you know, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead because Ian Glenn's going to be in it, and we talk about that for a while. And then he leaves, and he was Tom Stoppard. He just came up is. to me. Tom Stoppard's the guy who wrote Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. He's oh, one of okay. the biggest playwrights of the 20th century. And he just, just saw me and came up, and we had this conversation about theater. He just knew I was into theater by looking at me. He even said, I can always tell when someone's actually engaged in, in the production. And I just, some of the best ones, the best writers just know. We can smell what's, our you, own. They, they just know when, when someone's engaged. And, they, and it's funny, you know, for all that Stanley's got a lot of problems in terms of like, you know, how he ran Marvel and so forth. And I don't want to get into the whole Jack Kirby argument. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I, know, I know there's issues. Yeah. But, I mean, well, for He's all of that, Stanley's still friggin' engaged at, in in his like late eighties, early nineties. The dude's still friggin' engaged. He, I, I still love the fan theory that he's playing Uedo the Watcher in all those movies. <laughs> his seriously, his enthusiasm for everything is is, is really contagious and endearing. And that, that was, said, that was another really good thing about Marvel is, is, you know, they, they really went out of their way when they, when they first formed to tell you, this is the writer, this is the artist, this is the inker, this is the colorist, you know, they attached names. They had the whole Marvel bullpen idea where a lot of people don't know who Otto Binder is, you know, over at DC, uh, but you got, you know, everybody knows Stanley, Jack Kirby, Steve. That's Duke. the point. Like they had the bullpen. So everyone was working out of the bullpen and they had editorial cross communication and they were, DC they didn't were have talking, that for yeah. years they, like, they, they were a lot more human and and connected with their audience a lot more than they, than know, they did over at dc back then. i know who marie severin is because of the way marvel ran itself i know that marvel had a lot of women working in coloring and editing mm-hmm. and inking that you didn't get to hear about too much a lot of artists a lot of writers a lot more than you really got a sense of i know about guys like bill mantlow who bill mantlow is one of my heroes um, I'm disgusted by what's happened to Bill Mantlo and the fact that, you know, they're making a multi-million dollar movie with one of his characters in it and he, he has to beg online. His brother has to beg online to get oh, money. Oh, he's the Rocket treatment. Raccoon guy. Okay, I didn't yeah. recognize the name. Bill Mantlo did um, – he did the Rocket Raccoon story in Hulk. He did a lot of Hulk. He wrote Hulk for years. He did some Iron Man stuff that was really good. He – He's really funny because Bill Mantlo is like the Grant Morrison before Grant Morrison existed, except nobody credits him for it. He came up with the weird stories that nobody gives him. Like the, he, the whole Rocket Raccoon story is set on a world in space that was inspired by a book called Gideon's Bible. He took the song Rocky Raccoon and made a friggin' space opera out of it, <laughs> and it's it's really amazing. Like so, some of the stuff Mantlo did, you know, th- his Hulk run stuff that's being done in Hulk right now comes out of stuff Mantlo did. Stuff that Iron Man is still living with is from stuff that Mantlo did in Iron Man. Um, and it's really like it's the same thing that happened to Dave Cockrum. You remember what happened to Dave Cockrum? No, he did he all had, the uh, the designs for the new X Men, right? Like, yeah, and he wrote and he came out and, and he was the artist for like you know thirty certain issues. Oh, before. he was a, he was a great costume designer. He did Nightcrawler, didn't he? Design the uh, the Phoenix costume. Yeah, all of it. Nightcrawler, that Phoenix, was, Colossus. The Phoenix costume is one of the best costumes, just friggin' ever. And a lot of people still do that, like the whole like bodysuit and sash thing. I mean, look at Captain Marvel. Well, he did like also he didn't the um he, there she are Imperial Guard. Because he used to be the artist on Legion of Superheroes, and when he switched over to Marvel, he patterned the Shi'ar Imperial Guard after Legion of Superheroes. Oh, cool. And at the same time, the people who were doing Legion created a group called the Legion of Super Assassins, who are just the X-Men. <laughs> and one of, those, one of those guys gets to be in the, the Legion, a guy named Block. He was there via Colossus. 
So I there vaguely was back remember him. Was he gray? He was big gray rock dude. Okay. But uh, it, it's just co- guys like Cockrum and Mantlo who did this amazing work because it was work for hire get yeah. nothing. They get nothing. And it's really annoying to me. I'm not saying that Marvel should just go throw money at Bill Mantlo. I'm saying he shouldn't have to worry about the medical care that he needs because the dude got in an accident and he got you know, crippled. He's been like this for 27 years. He got mentally crippled. His brothers had to take care of him. If you're going to make a movie, you're going to dump like $37 million into making a, a, a Guardians of the Galaxy movie that's going to make like $150 bucks domestic at the least. Give his family enough money to pay for his freaking medical care. I know you don't have to. I know there's no legal thing binding you to it. Just do it. Mm-hmm. Just do it because it's the right thing to do. I wonder so whose that- actual decision that would have to be over at Marvel I don't Legal. Know. It would have to be like somebody at Marvel Legal, wouldn't it? Well, the worst part is Mantlo, you know what he left comics to do? Hmm. He went to law school and became a legal aid lawyer. Ouch. And that's what you know he was when he died. Like, not died, when he got hurt. That's what he was doing. Like he left comics to, to be a lawyer. I think he wrote an episode. I, I hope, of I hope at least the CBLDF does something about it. It would be nice. Greg Pack put a thing up about it on his website. I think I'll link was, to this in the show notes and just put a link up to the CBLDF and see if you know we can airmark some of that money for, for some of his care. I'll, I'll link to a whole bunch of this stuff. But, dude, we're coming up on like three hours. Yeah, of we should show. probably stop. Yeah. <laughs> we really should. I would love to just sit and, and and talk with you about this stuff. But you know, I follow you on Twitter. I'm Queen Anthony on Twitter. I tweet you occasionally. No, I'm um, here. If you ever want to just like just talk about comics and shit or whatever, you know, just throw me an email. You know, because I don't, I don't have a lot of friends. <laughs> yes, you do. No, but it's it's very rare that I find somebody like you who's like so into Warcraft and so into comics and so into gaming. And I'm like, talk to me. <laughs> See, Dana, there are good people out there. There are people. Okay, there are people like me. Fine, that's fine. Yeah. So that's 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 really why I kind of selfishly wanted you on the podcast cuz I just wanted oh, I to talk to somebody about some stuff. I'm always happy to yammer about things. It's, you know, kind of what I do every week anyway. I lo- so I love a good yammer. I love a good yammer. But yeah, this is this is like 2 hours and 45 minutes and we're going to have a bitch of a time editing this. I didn't even talk about my book. Oh, <laughs> oh. feel free to plug it real quick. Yeah. Okay, I'll uh, like it. It's on. It's called a book called Atlast Atlantis. Um, it's kind of hard to describe. The first one, uh, which was Things That Never Were, came out in 2004 from a uh, Monkey Bo- Book Press. That Monkey Brains, the guys doing comics now. Uh, Chris Robertson, he actually publishes his own comics. But back then, he was just doing books, and uh, I got my first one. Then it's got an introduction by Paul DeFilippo, who described it as speculative nonfiction. That's kind of what it is. Like uh, I don't really know how it's like. Sort of what if essays, like what if vampires were real and were like they're actually the Greek gods? What if, you know, Napoleon was a supercomputer made out of like, you know, steam generated parts? What if, you know, the Greek, the Norse gods were a computer system designed to warn us about asteroid collisions? No Stuff wonder that- you love Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> It, it's it's sort of, you know, I mean, the, the real inspiration was a guy named Avram Davison who wrote um, Adventures in Unhistory. Uh, and I basically got inspired by him. And then later on, I found out there were other guys, like, for instance, a dude named Kenneth Height. He, him and I have been compared many times. We're pretty similar. Uh, he himself has pointed out that if he said at one point, he, he linked to my first book and he said something like, if you're anybody but Avram Davison, you're stealing my bit. <laughs> <laughs> I responded like, you know, I'm sorry, man. I didn't know you existed when I started this. And he's right, though we do. We are pretty similar. So it, it's you know, I the current book is Atlas Atlantis. I have a sell-fi for it, and it's on Amazon. Okay. So 
I'll, I'll send you the links at some point. You've been tweeting it incessantly. Yeah. Yeah, fine. <laughs> I have. To, I really feel like I have to. It's. I hate that about Twitter. Yeah, it's like it's I. Okay. I would prefer not to mention it at all, but it's like you know I need to get people to buy it. It's fine. So. I'll, I'll, I'll totally give you. I don't know if I'm going to give you a huge bump in traffic, but I'll do something for you. <laughs> you know, I mean, we got a thousand listeners last time, but that's just because I sat there and I cried for an hour. Okay, well, if you told me that, sound... I could have been mean. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it! DC sucks. <laughs> Everything is terrible. RG Comics are where it's at. Actually, oh, kind of is. I can't really, you know, Spire. I can talk about Spire and Archie all day, but we don't have time. I know, I know. But we'd be happy to have you back another time for you know whatever you want. Just you know, let us know, and you can find Matt pretty much every week at least on uh, Know Your Lore. Uh, the care and feeding of warriors and the queue over at Wow Insider, which I will also link. Uh, it was really great to have you, man. It, it sure. was, that was a lot of fun. I, I, I love a good yammer, and goddamn, you're a master. So I'm just sorry that George and I didn't get to talk more about work curbs because <laughs> I've actually got um, George is just there for set dressing anyway. This will amuse you, though. I've got here Gerbs Imperial Rome Second Edition by C.J. Uh-huh. Carell. Yeah. Which I used I used when I wrote a paper on Rome for my, my uh, history degree. I have a history degree. And I actually use this book as research material because it's got a, the mm-hmm. bibliography in this thing is unfucking believable. Yeah. Their bibliographies are GURPS bibliographies make history textbook bibliographies look bad. Because yeah. they've got like I'm looking at this thing now. It's sourced into nonfiction, fiction, film and television. It's got a glossary and an index all in the bibliography. You gonna pick it up, George? I already have it. Yeah, he's. Of course, gone. you already have it. Gerbs <laughs> players own t- like a hundred books. It's crazy. You just you're keep gonna make me like when I, when I when I hang up here, I'm gonna have to go look at it now, just because you got me intrigued. Damn it! Gerbs, One more thing, I gotta waste all my time on. Gerbs Vikings is the best Vikings. <laughs> it's the best Viking source book outside of like Kevin Crossley Holland textbooks. It's amazing. We'll start with horror and work our way up, Dana. Mm, horror. Yes. Yes. Okay. This has been episode 71 of Made to Fail. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Matt, for coming on. And everybody have a lovely evening. Bye-bye. Hello, listeners. It's your editor, Devin. Do you have questions, comments, cute pictures of cats? Please come to madeafail.net to share them. One time I tried to sing About spring and the storm But you know how it goes blah 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 all along won't you please stop complaining I'm playing a song Birthday Kryptonian, I give you oblivion. Burn! <laughs> <laughs>